Hey, it's your host, Ben. This episode is a recording of our live stream event that we did in May of 2021 with our buddy Ira Elliott of Not A Surf when we talked about The Clash's London Calling. We want to thank everybody who participated in the live stream. Big shout out to all of our Patreon revisitors. They were given access to, to, to be able to watch the live stream event. If you want to get in on all the action, go to patreon.com slash records revisited podcasts. I do want to give a shout out to all of our Patreon revisitors right now. Big shout out to all of our recent Patreon contributors, Tom Hershey, Nicole LaValle, Tim McKay, Carly Anderson, Andy B, Tim Reed, and Kevin Peters. Thank you all for being a part of, of the community. And, um, Thank you for keeping this this podcast afloat. Without you, we would not be able to, to do this. So um, it is much appreciated. All right. So there are going to be some references in this recording of being able to see video. Yeah, Ira had a, a small little uh, saxophone, and I'm using the quotations right now. I think that you'll be able to figure out that it wasn't a saxophone, but anyways, you get you got to listen to the episode to, to 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 figure that out. All right, cue up the intro music. Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is a man who some call Moody, but he wants to remind you, Moody can't fail. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Ah, pura vida, Benami. Sorry, I had to do a dad, jo- dad joke there, sorry. All right, so for this episode, we have a special guest. You might remember him from our Regatta de Blanc episode from 2019 or our episode about the magnificent Cars debut. He's a member of Not a Surf and Bambi Kino. I think we'll talk about both of those. Please welcome back to the podcast one of our favorites, Ira Elliott. Hi, guys. I had to take my headphones off because it's (laughs) so so part of this. Yeah, part of the sausage-making process is, is Wayne and I are in the same room. Right, you're actually facing each other. We're facing each other, <laughs> and there's a slight echo, and so I'm hearing myself, and I'm, I don't like the sound of my voice anyways. Oh, I, I hear you. And so now I'm hearing it, and... Um, second-guessing everything that I'm saying. So uh, yeah. I stopped listening to the podcast because I don't like the sound of my own voice. Yeah. yeah. Never, yeah. I never listen to my own work. I don't listen to my own records. I hate my drumming. It's, I can't. <laughs> That's blasphemy. That's, you shouldn't hate your drumming. <laughs> no, no, it's not, it's, not that, it's not quite that. Yeah. All right. Well, premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode i asked the all-important question so i'm going to start with the man sitting across from me what t-shirt are you wearing i just came back from costa rica on vacation uh, so while i was there i had to get some shirts plus 
Uh, Costa Rica, where we were staying, was very near Nicaragua, which is where the Sandinistas uh, are, which is the next album they, of a band that we're about to talk they about. They have a big, they, and they had a big T-shirt stand out by the <clears throat> by the beach. Oh, uh, there were T-shirts. Yeah, were T-shirts all over the place. I couldn't help myself. I bought one in the airport too, but this is my Costa Rica Uravita. Love it. Nice. Love it. Nice. All right. Is there like a, a local Costa Rican beer that everyone drinks? Yeah, Imperial. I bought a T-shirt of that too. <laughs> oh, I see. I wanted. To, I think I was there once, and I tried to find myself an Imperial T-shirt. That's next episode. <laughs> That's next episode. Yeah. And and the good thing about me being in the same room. So I make the joke that during the interview process, what Wayne is doing and being really quiet is he's buying T-shirts. So I'm in the same room, yeah. so I will be monitoring him and making sure that he's well, not I need to find buying places t-shirts. to store T-shirts. That's what I have to buy now. Well, this is a whole podcast right here because I, I have a whole <laughs> listen. I'm a rock musician. I live and die on T-shirts. Yeah. I have I must have fifty or sixty, and then I keep cycling them in. Like new ones come in, old ones have to go out. Did you see the look on yeah, Wayne's face? He was like fifty or sixty. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah, yeah. No, I have to. I keep. I, I keep weeding them out. I keep uh, pre. I keep. I'm, I'm keep trying. I mean, I took uh, trimming the. I took several and had quilts made out of them by some students in Nebraska. The one thing that you don't. Okay, so let's talk about the sausage making <laughs> process for a second. Sure. So when we started yeah. this podcast, I think we both kind of had an idea that maybe we'll do a hundred episodes. And so when Wayne had this, that sounds, that sounds completely unreasonable. Yeah. yeah so so we're so Wayne had this hard. idea. I'll wear a different T-shirt for every yeah. single episode. <clears throat> Blew up in my face. We are now over. This is this is <laughs> recording what one hundred eighty-eight. <laughs> hey, and he's been on t-shirt. about one hundred and sixty eighty of those episodes. <laughs> I'm going to have to start my own t-shirt museum. Yeah, yeah you're going to have to shut a, a, a Records Revisited t-shirt podcast, like every episode, up on the wall. We should. We should. We should do an auction. It's take me two days to take all the pictures. That would, it would take a while. It would take a while. All right. Um, so, Ira. Yeah. What's what's your get up? What's get what's? Uh, I was feeling super clashy. I mean, I've been on. I've been thinking about this all week, and I've been listening to the damn Clash, and you know the Clash is so important to me. So I, I I've got a Clash button somewhere here. Here I got the Clash. I got a Clash button right there. Love right? it. And I'm wearing a I'm wearing a bandana, which is very Clash, and uh, I'm wearing a black, which is all which is like my standard uniform anyway. But I found this one recently. I really like this one. Nice. Love it. That's a Clash Clash in Japan t-shirt. Very nice. good. That's just a great graphic. I just love it. I, I, I was trying to find some a really like perfect Clash t-shirt, and that to me sounded like I really I, I like this one. So there's my Clash t-shirt for the day. I think nice. you got it. And the Clash ba- Clash bandana. Yeah. I don't know how they did this. They were just must have they must have expired. <sighs> it's hard to do. Pop. I, I was gonna put on a different. I was gonna for every song I'll put on a shallow collar with the shirt. You know, shirt with the collar on. The look that you're giving is very 2020 because you could just use that bandana as a head mat. All right, I could just do this. Yeah, that's very clash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's that's like your Whole Foods uniform (laughs) right there. Yeah, exactly. Clash law masking and masked all masked in a supermarket. I think absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm I'm wearing 
Ah, classic London Calling. Um, and I have I have with me my my original copy that I bought. Love it in 1980. I'm traveling, so I didn't I didn't grab my record. I didn't grab my CD co- uh, uh, copy. Um, but I do have my T-shirt that I haven't worn for probably a year because it shrank on me. <laughs> shrank on you. Know those Amazon knockoff T-shirts that we bought early in the process of doing the podcast, mm-hmm. and um, they don't last long. Those, those ten, those twelve dollar ones from uh, from from Alibaba. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's 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 exactly where <laughs> I bought those from. So I got a, I have a pink I have a pink status quo Alibaba T-shirt. I love it. It's gonna fall. It's gonna last about six months. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't worn this in like six months. So yeah, um, yeah. I'll probably wash it one more time after this, and then I think I'll have to donate it to one of my kids. There you go. So you're a good. You're a good dad. <laughs> yeah, I think. I maybe. <laughs> I mean, I. I do give them some of my smaller rock t-shirts. I, I got really yeah. super excited the other day because my 12-year-old wore was was wearing my Fix Walkabout um, t-shirt from the 1986 tour that hasn't nice. fit me since 1986. Um, so my 12-year-old is wearing it, and I was like so proud. And of course, he's never. L- heard the fix at all and you fix right thinks, i think it's a good t-shirt i saw the fix live in somewhere in long island they played three songs and walked off <laughs> not kidding i'm not kidding cy kernan cy kernan hated the there was the mix was shitty he hated it couldn't deal with it i think they maybe got through four songs when uh, was this stand what, off all. we're out of here um this had to be i was in college it had to be not later than 1982 Okay. 83 at the most, probably. Because he seems like the most level-headed rock musician that there is out there. Not that day. Not that day. He was that day. That day, he was fucking over it. He was over <laughs> it. They were playing a sort of like a very, very grungy bar somewhere on Long Island. And, of course, they were the biggest thing. I mean, I don't know what they were used to doing. But I think maybe this... The sound system in this club was not what they were used to. Anyway, he was yeah. really not. He was really, really over it. I've rarely seen anything, so you know, I felt bad. But uh, yeah, they didn't last the whole set. I swear to God, maybe four or five songs. Wow. And they, they, they got, we're out of here. Interesting. I've never seen it. I've, I've never been. I've never seen anything. Like that I don't think I've ever seen a band walk off like that. Have you? Stage, yeah. No, I've never seen a band walk off. But having gone to uh, four or five Guns and Roses shows, they always show up late. I have a Axl Rose good luck charm. I, he's showed up every time, but every time he's been late, and I remember the best time was he came out of the Tacoma Dome, and he'd been in trouble in Canada the day before, and he had to be a half hour late, and he comes walking out along this scaffolding, and the first thing he says is, bet you motherfuckers thought I wasn't going to show. <laughs> <laughs> and they all went, fuck yeah. Oh, uh, the place was <laughs> insane. Yeah. yeah. I bet. That seems like Axl. I, yeah. I waited about two and a half hours in a field. In, in Phoenix it was Soundgarden who was great it was like the last night of a tour okay. Soundgarden had opened they came on like the other uh, in the middle of their set like half the Guns N' Roses came on naked and wrapped like toilet paper around everybody and then uh, uh, yeah and then it was like two hours everybody you know they were watching the, the cameras were like focusing on girls and their tits and 
you know, try to keep us entertained. But it was about an hour and a half, two hours of nothing at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 11.30. They finally went on something like that. It was fun. I could say. But it was a great show. It was worth the wait. Okay. <laughs> I think I probably would have bailed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I come too far. I was with my cousin. She was well into it. I couldn't. We, we, besides, we were like kind of pinned. Like we were in this huge crowd. There was no place to go. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, what have you been um, up to since we recorded last with you? Because, man, 2020. Uh, me, I, well, 2020, uh, was there, uh, yeah, I, you know, Nodisurf was in the middle of um, uh, promoting. We were in the middle of touring uh, our record, which was called, uh, what was it called? Never Not Together. Yep. A very fine album on Barsu Records. And we had done an American tour in uh, January of 2020. And then we went to Europe in February or March, and that's when the shit started. The first started to fly, and we were in Paris. We we had to we instead of uh, in Paris we played, and they had just changed rules. They couldn't have more than a thousand people in the venue, and the venue we were playing in in Paris was like fifteen hundred. And we were like, ah, uh, they're going to cancel the show. It's a really important show for us. So we talked to the venue and said, could you please, like, can we split it across two shows? Okay. So they gave us a late and early show, and we were able to keep it under the under the guest, under the crowd. Um, but it was only three four days later. I think it was only, it was, that was like a Tuesday. And by Friday, they, the, the travel ban was started to come in, and like, I was out. By, so by Saturday, I came home. And then, so Nostra was effectively cut off at the knees in the middle of a, a great tour. It was going so well. I think it's one of the best records we've ever made. It's very disturbing. Yes. I'm still very... I'm still haven't really I haven't dealt with it <laughs> um, but what's going to happen is we're, we're going to go back on the road uh, we're going back to uh, our base player lives in Spain and we're going to in about two or three weeks I think we're going to all go there Matthew's going to come from England and Louie's going to come from, from Austin and a couple other guys come in and we're going to probably record a couple of live rehearse a little bit record a couple of live shows do a kind of live stream like yeah. this record it and put it out and we might do something like this where we all sit around over dinner and have invite people to come just talk to us and ask us questions and we'll do a kind of a live chat like this that'll be great so there's some things and there's some touring actually coming up as a US tour in November so I'm excited about that I think it's going to be I think it's going to be very cathartic and very emotional I think when bands go back on the road and audiences come back to see bands hopefully they will you're still not coming to Florida well Florida isn't I I know we've talked about this But you freaking live in Florida. It's the penis of America. It is. What do you want? What do you want? Yeah, it's just hard to get down here. It's too. It's a large. It's a large penis, and it's hard to travel <laughs> like the entire shaft. It just you yeah. get halfway down, and you get back up to the tip. It's fucking takes forever. So um, yeah. So yeah. So it's rare. I mean, I remember. Yeah, it's only once or twice. I think I remember playing St. Pete a number of years ago. Yep. It's a great place to play. The audiences are great. But uh, you know. We'll talk to my booking agent. I know. What's one of the dates in Atlanta? On this one coming in November, I don't think we get that I don't far think you're south. in Atlanta. Sure. Yeah. I think we're doing North stuff. I think we're doing like Canada stuff and uh, middle uh, like Boston. Okay. I have a little, so Chicago, maybe some Minneapolis. Um, so it's kind of northeasty. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, Philadelphia was like as far south as you guys got. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. Okay. I haven't really studied it. I was just looking at the other day. But it's, we got a couple of months. To, to, and there'll be more where that came from. We have a lot of ground to make up. So. Yeah. I got some Sky Miles. Yeah. I'm going to have to cash some of those to go see you guys again. Yeah, come on. I can hook you up. Okay. 
We just recorded an episode on Let Go. Yes, we did. I know. I saw my friend Lindsay Murray, who I played on her records. She's like, hey, I did a Let Go. And I'm like, you did Let Go without me. Thanks for asking. Well, I know a little bit about that record. Would, I'm an insider. I was practically there. I know, but would you have wanted to score it? <laughs> no, probably not. Exactly. Probably not. Okay. No, you're right. You're right. But I have some good insider information. I will tell you that I almost personally sank that record myself. I almost, that almost record didn't know what happened, thanks to yours truly. Okay. <laughs> almost, almost. I want to hear it. Almost. Well, basically, I'll keep it short, but we went into that studio in, in California. Okay. Where we had worked on our second record. And, um, and so we started to record, and, you know, uh, the, there was no pressure, really, on us, because we didn't have a record label or anything, but... There's pressure on me because I'm the drummer, and I feel like when you record, you have plenty. If you want to do the bass over and over, the guitar over and over, you can do everything over and over. You can sing your voice a thousand, you can sing vocals a thousand times, you can play the keyboard with your knees. But the drums have to be right first, and because everything sits on top of that. So if the drums are not right, so it's a lot of pressure. I put a lot of pressure on myself because I didn't think of myself as a studio guy. And uh, the first couple of days, I, we would do takes, and I would listen back, and, I, and, I, and it sounded awful. Just like nothing felt good. I, th- I could hear that I was stressed. I could hear it in the tracks. And it was like a cycle. My stress went to the tracks and my listening to the tracks made me more stressed. And it went down and down and down. I was really upset. And Daniel said to me, if this is the way you're going to be, we might as well not make this record. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm destroying the whole thing. So I made a decision. And the next day I, I dropped all my baggage and I went to the studio like, hey, I just the drums. No big deal. Whack, boom. I do this all the time. And, uh, and it changed. From that moment on, we were, I relaxed into it. I'm like, just don't think too hard about it. I'm like, it's only playing the drums, dude. It's not a big deal. And that changed the whole tenor of everything. And I relaxed, and the whole record was able to from there. But the first two days of tracking were completely wasted. How much of that was knowing the history leading up to Let Go, where the label hated your second record? Uh, and no, you guys, no, it was I don't think was it was that any of it? About that. It, was just, it was me. No, it was really me and my desire to be great. And to and to like really shine, and I, what I wanted to do was be my best, and I wanted it to be just so excellent and like pro and happening and feel good and um, and when it didn't sound like that and I wasn't able to connect, I went into a cycle of depression and I just get frustrated at myself and the frustration sort of fed on itself. So it was simply my desire to be great uh, actually worked against me at that at that point, and I had to rethink. I had to really take a moment to step out rethink what I do and simplify. It was a very, very interesting Zen lesson about recording because with the red light fever can really drive you crazy because you you know, yeah. people are gonna listen to what you do not once, not twice, maybe hundreds of times. And if it sucks, it's it's gonna suck every time. So I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I don't I'm not so bad now. I don't have the red light fever I once had and I and I've learned to relax. But that was a central moment for me. So what got you to that point? I'm I'm playing therapist right now. <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, I, I simply, I simply knew that the only person that could get me there was me. Yeah. I, I couldn't rely on Daniel or Matthew to solve the problem for me or anybody else. And I was very upset because they were very upset now because I had upset them, and they realized that we're, they were all just hitting our head against the wall. And all we wanted to do was make music, but I was making it very difficult. And so I, uh, I said, well, it's really in my hands. Like if I don't get out of this negative attitude, then this whole thing, all the stuff we worked for, and all we traveled all this way to get here. And, yeah done this whole you know we've traveled made this whole journey we, you know and i'm am i going to ruin it now so it was really on me i really felt like i i saw it as like my singular singular uh, 
job to change my own mind. And I said, okay. I said really before I went to bed, I'm like, it was like, you know, it was one of those things where maybe you have a fight with your significant other and you just feel shitty. And you're like, I have to fix this. Like, I have to be different for them. You know, like I can't be this way. Right. You know, I can be this way when I'm by myself. So I made a decision. And I said, tomorrow morning when I get up, I'm not. I'm just going to be happy, and I'm just going to be like nothing of this. None of this ever fucking happened. And and I I felt I went with that. I got up. I was smiling. I went. I got some coffee. I went and sat down behind the kit. And Daniel sat down across from me, and I could see that he was very. He was looking at me like, "Okay, asshole. What do you? What, what's what are we going to go through today?" I'm like, "Hi, Daniel. How are you?" And he didn't trust me. I I know him because he knows me. I was watching him like, I can see that he doesn't really think this is for real. And then we started to track and I was like, and I just let it go and everything was fine. And then everyone's guard went down because I was just playing like normal. And that was the whole difference. Like I just didn't have any negative attitude. I just made myself positive. And you can hear in the record, everything's very relaxed and positive. Yeah. And I had to work myself to that point. Otherwise it would have been uptight and awful. Do you remember what? But it was a great lesson. Yeah. Do you remember what song it was that... You, you were tracking. I do remember that the first thing we tracked. The first thing we tracked was uh, Inside of Love because we had a, we had these film students who wanted to make. Uh, they had already offered to make that video, that beautiful video. Yeah. Uh, in and around locations in L.A. and they had done casting and they had done the whole thing, and uh, they needed a track to to play when they when they cut the video. They needed to sync it up properly because we had an, we given them an early demo which is at the wrong tempo. And so the first thing we did was go in, and I think that was the first song we cut, and, and that was okay because we, it was very focused. Well, after that, I, I really don't, I really have no memory of what that, of what happened after that or what song it was. Uh, yeah, I should have made more copious notes at the time, but uh, I, I don't really remember. But it was really, uh, it was a really important lesson. I remember, like, it was two days of really negative awfulness, thanks to, thanks to me. But, yeah. Uh, I let it go. I let it go. As you let it go. Uh, Inside of Love was actually our top-rated song for that episode. It's a classic. It doesn't get better than that. That's great. I, if I do say so myself, that's there's nothing wrong with that song. That was not Wayne's top song. That was my top song. Cumulatively. Wayne, can I ask? Can I ask, Wayne? The way you wear your head? Ah, there's the man. That's the correct answer. I think I even said on the episode, <laughs> I'm like, are you kissing up to iRib? Is that the reason why? No, I... Dude, I no, that, that's a great video too. We made that video. Have you seen the video? Is yeah. us the, the video director said, "I want to make something that looks like um, ten years after it, Woodstock." Okay. So we shot it in that sort of uh, like letterbox. Yeah. Uh, it looks and it's cut with the same kind of colors. He, he based it on, on the Woodstock performance of Ten Years After, which I love. That's one of my favorite. That's probably my favorite not a video and one of my favorite songs. And the drum parts of it. Bash. Yeah, we, we gushed on you for that episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, don't know if you, I do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I will stop and pull the car over and air drum that bill myself. Perfect. Perfect. Round and back. Round and back. Other things that you've been doing. So you did the Adam Schlesinger tribute. Right. Well, Not A Surf did one. Not yeah. A Surf was asked to do one a few months ago. And we we did, uh, but that wasn't a, a, on, uh, that wasn't a video, just a recording that got put out. Yeah. We did, um, uh, oh, um, what was that one called? Um, oh dear, that was a beautiful song too. It was one of Matthew's favorites. Very low key. Uh, uh, not not Hackensack. It was. Uh, uh, 
Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the song. I can hear the melody. Anyway, it was a really beautiful song. And then we got, and Band Akina got this opportunity to do this live one. So we were like, oh, here's a great story. Uh, we were, we, we, we wanted to do on that first record, which you get a chance to do, the one that Nonosurf was on, we wanted to do that thing you do because we thought of all the Adam Schlesinger songs, that's right. possibly the most Beatly. Um, so we were like, let's, do, so we didn't get to do it on that first record. So now the second opportunity comes along to do it for Diane at, at Bowery Electric. And we're like, oh, give us, please, Diane, can we do, uh, that thing you do. She goes, well, maybe, but another artist is kind of wants to do it. So if he doesn't want to do it, you can have it. And I said, okay, great. Who is that? Elton John. (laughs) Uh, Elton John. That's what she said. That's what she told us. Elton John wanted to do that thing you do. Now, I would have loved to have heard Elton John's take on that thing you do. But in the long run, he did not do that. He did. So after like two weeks... No, and we had, uh, we we arranged another song just in case that was not available. We arranged uh, "Survival Car," which would have been very interesting. Um, but uh, you did "Sick Day." Elton John gave up the ghost. "Sick Day" was you the one that, that we did. Yeah, but not I just looked it up. Beautiful song. Uh, and then so and that one we did kind of note for note. I didn't change anything. I played a, I played that original track. I played along with the original record. I didn't want to futz with it. It was perfect. I didn't want to put. I didn't want to change it at all. But. That thing you do needed a big overhaul because that thing you do, I don't, I don't, I don't like that song. <laughs> I know everyone likes that song, but me. Uh, no, no, no I hate it. I to love that song. I hate it. But uh, that song is so corny, Ugh. and it's so un- it's so un rock and roll. I just can't believe it. Not for not 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 the way it is. Not for Bambikino, who are like very down and dirty. So I sped it up ten beats per minute. We kind of we tried to remove the. There's a lot of cheesy background vocals, yeah. stuff the Beatles would never ever in a million years do. So we tried <laughs> to sort of make it. We tried to cut some cheese out, and I think we did a very good job. And the video we made was really hilarious, and we had a good time. And yeah. I love playing with Doug Gillard and Eric Paparossi and Mark, and everybody is so great. Yeah, it went beautiful. S- speaking of Doug, we. Um we we thought he might be joining us for this. If but he had not been, he's doing some recording out with Tom yeah. Bujour out in New Jersey. Uh, but and he would have loved to have been here. Believe me, I know he loves this record. Yep, yep. Well, he he said, "Tell me the next time you guys do a live stream, I'll 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 jump on." So yeah, no, he's a good man. He's the best. We love Doug. Yeah, yeah, we love yeah. Doug. Don't get better than that. I'm so lucky to have him in Baby Keto. It's crazy. Yeah. So are you guys? Are you guys doing anything? Anything on the horizon for Bambi Kino? The Bambi Kino is really tough because, like, well, I mean, I just saw the announcement like yesterday, like GBV is going out, like they'll probably tour all of next year. They'll yeah. probably tour nonstop. So we can only get it in, like, like Eric is going to go out, and like Eric said, well, I'm going to be going out. Maybe he's going out with, uh, I don't know who's going out with, maybe Cat Power. Okay. Um, and uh, there was a couple of dates in New York, like it was a Philly date and a New York date, and there was like a couple of sh- days in between. There no show and like ah we could do a New York show right we could wedge one in there but Doug was like oh I'm gonna be in, you know in Sheboygan with, with whatever so yeah. it's hard for us to really to really go between everyone and it's really hard believe me if we could the four of us would give up everything and do that every night of the week is there ever a way that you can have Bambi Kino open for not a surf <laughs> <laughs> Bambi Kino doesn't open for anybody. Okay. <laughs> Bambi Kino opens for no one, and no one opens for us. We we get we play for five hours or not at all. There we go. Okay. Perfect. The only band we've ever considered opening for, which I think would be a great double bill, honestly, is uh, the Fab Foe, uh, who are you are familiar are a great Beatles cover band. Yeah. The guys from 
Chippy Vivino and all those cats. Um, they are one of the best Beatles tribute bands. And we thought, wow, it would be great to have the Bandicino do like a short 20-minute set opening for those guys, like before or after. That would be cool. But they don't. They never have opening acts either, so okay. they're, they'll never do it. You musicians, you don't know. your egos. No, we're very particular. No, we're particular. We don't want to play. We don't. We played like a 40-minute set. No fun. Wayne, what are you doing over there? Nothing. He's checking his. He's checking his. He's, he's buying t-shirts. That's what t-shirt are you buying? I didn't buy a t-shirt. I was. You were looking at, for a Bambikino t-shirt, no, weren't you? Fountain of Wayne songs. I have a list of t-shirts I need to buy right now. I have one right here on my phone. Okay. D- did I ask you the last time you were on if you had Bambikino t-shirts? Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm in the middle of a conversation right now with Mark about making a new batch. Okay. Uh, um, I want to make myself one, and, and we should really make a new batch of them and sell them like on Bambikino. It's a great logo. You're right. Gonna, actually, we're going to have, have a conversation with the uh, the not a serve T-shirt guys, and we're going to make a new batch and so Yeah, so yes is the answer. Okay. Well, you at least have two. Yeah, so sold. a couple extra large. One for me and sure. Wayne. Yeah, a couple XLs. Back to small. The, the, uh, in this pandemic, I'm back to small. I was medium for a long time. I'm back to small. I don't believe that. Um, Whatever the tag says, it must be true. Small. Okay. Small. I hate you. Um, <laughs> All right. Sorry, I shouldn't brag. I shouldn't brag about being skinny. Oh, so cool. You guys ready to jump into this? Oh yeah. The Clash. Let's talk about the Clash. So this is one that we have been trying to do for a long time. Okay, tell me about the guitar. Oh, this is my. Uh, oh, this guitar. <laughs> I didn't think you noticed. Um, this is. <laughs> I'm a. I'm. A, I'm a guitar. I love the guitar. I, I don't play it very well. I'm a crap guitarist. But I've been. A, I love guitars all my life. I've always had guitars in the house. And I've, over the years, I've. I've owned one or two. Like I have a, a, a Gibson 330. Um, I have a an Edwards Les Paul, which is for all intents and purposes exactly like. A '59 Les Paul, except it only cost 1,200 bucks instead of like 6,000. And uh, and I recently been obsessed with Telecasters, and I thought I really I want to get better at playing guitar. Number one, and I want a guitarist's guitar, and the Telecaster was the one. So I went through a couple of iterations, and I found myself a Telecaster that has a humbucker in this position, which is very Keith Richards. Um, uh, that's got that sort of warmer humbucker sound. Yeah. And the and but also it has a little thing here I can pull it out and it becomes a single coil. And so it basically is like two tel two 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 telecasters. So it has a wide range of telecastery sort of notes kind of tones. Okay. And I uh and I and it's a very and talk about the strummer guitar. Like one of the greatest like rhythm, you know, the greatest rhythm guitar player. This is great. So it, I get so I get all my like uh, Joe Strummer yah-yahs walking around. Well, playing like that's what I do. I'll put on like London Call and just play along with it. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit about the guitar thing because I did watch your video for the BG song. Oh, the BG song. Well, yeah, I gotta say, I play. I, I'm fake playing guitar in that video. I oh, are you playing the guitar <laughs> while I'm singing? But that's not me on the recording. That's Christopher okay. is a very Christopher is a tremendously great guitarist. He has been ever since I've known him. I met him when I was nineteen, okay. or I was like seventeen. I was seventeen. He was nineteen, and he already sounded exactly like Jimmy Page. He's one of the best guitarists I've ever known in my whole life. And so, uh, 
So I, when I did the vocal, I'm like, I just want to stand here like a schmuck. I want something in my hand. So I, I pretended, I mean, I played the right chords. I played D minor and A minor. I, I, I've learned the chords. But on the recording, it's not, it's not actually. Well, you fooled but, me. Like, like Elvis, you know, like Elvis. Yeah, he, you you know, fooled me. I, I thought, hey, look, Iris that's playing why, the I'm guitar. all about fooling you. Yes. I, am, I do play yeah. guitar. But I can't, I can't hear that song. So you guys covered, um, what, what is it? Covered, Nights, uh, uh, Nights, Nights on, Nights on, Broadway. on, Nights on yeah. Broadway. Oh, man. I can't song. hear that without thinking the Jimmy Fallon skit on Saturday Night Live. Oh, uh, uh, Where he does the Barry Gibb talk show. Oh, yeah. genius. Yeah. Stone genius. I'm very good. They always talk like this. And they're doing the theme song, which is <laughs> Nights on Broadway. And he does uh, talking about crazy cool medallions. Yeah, that's, yeah. Talking about Chester. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So great. So genius. It's so good. It's so great. Oh, can I just say, as by way of compliment, I posted that video and I got a compliment from uh, the son of Robin Gibb. Spencer Gibb. Very good. Son of Robin. Chimed in and said, "This is fair. He really liked it. <laughs> it made my it made my year. Love it. I was like, I, I was almost threw up. It was like, ah, an actual gib. That's crazy. I love the internet. It, it, it like you never know who's going to show up. I don't know if you listen to the Broken Record podcast, the one that um, Rick Rubin does with um, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, oh, really? Rick Rubin. No, Rick Rubin had Barry Gibb on." A couple months ago, and I now want Barry Gibb to come on this podcast. <laughs> he because he's a music nerd. I, is he really? Yeah, yeah. Really and I, I think he would just be fantastic. Uh, so I said, did you see that documentary about them? It's so, I haven't yet because it's oh on God, like Showtime cry. or HBO or and I don't have. I'll, it I'll, I'll give you the date. The last thing I shouldn't really give this away. But the last thing you know, they go through their whole um, an incredible career. The ups, the downs, the backlash. They were so popular. This is one of those bands that were so popular, everyone hated them. Um, at the end of it, he goes, at the very end, the last thing he says is like, you know what? I would fucking trade all of it to have my brothers back. Oh. And I was like, Psh, yeah, waterworks. I couldn't handle it. He goes, yeah, all that, whatever. My brothers, that's, that's, uh, that's what I miss. I miss now. Like, they spent their whole lives just training themselves to be the greatest harmony singers of all time. They were the greatest. He he seems so cool. Oh my God, how could he not be cool? All right. What are we talking about? But I have seen, there are some interviews, you ever see that interview he walks off the interview? He's doing some really big major British television interview, late night talk show, like the equivalent of like Johnny Carson basically. And the the interviewer asked, and this was about like the late 80s, and the interviewer says something to him like, so he says, like, well, you know, your best. He makes some aspersion, like the, his, their best days are behind them, and now they're kind of coasting. He makes some sort of weird aspersion, and he's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. yeah, 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 uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, sure. As he takes off his fucking mic, uh huh, oh yeah, okay, well, bye. And he gets up and he walks off, <laughs> leaving the other two brothers sitting there going, uh, okay, well, bye. And they get off and walk off too. It was wild. He had it up to here. And he's, and he's like, he walked This off. is what I'm talking he about. He amazing. seems like the coolest dude ever. So, yeah. yeah. He wasn't going to be, don't tell me I'm like, I'm past it. Go fuck yourself. It was right. brilliant. Right. Yeah, it was really, really good. All right. It was very Johnny Rotten of him to do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was very, it was like those Leiden, those pill, those Leiden pill interviews. Where like, he's, you're not as good as the, you know, the, 
the uh, oh, he, oh, they're very contentious. Those are the greatest interviews of all time. That seemed like oh, sorry. Let's get let's talk about the class. Yeah, I was going to say that almost <laughs> sounded Noel Gallagher. That what you were just saying. Oh yeah, no, the, yeah. there's some amazing, very contentious television interviews between not Leiden and TV presenters who they they don't like him. He yeah, doesn't I would like them. Assume all of them and, were and, to a to a, to a wow. A very you know they didn't like well they didn't like pill like pill was a hard pill to swallow. Some people were like this is too arty and weird and noisy. You know, the pistols were one kind of thing. But, you know, he was clearly trying to break away from that and do something else. And, you know, he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't into the criticism at all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and he let him know. All right. So this yeah. record is like the greatest record. This record is like a James Joyce album, right? I mean, like, it's full of references. It's full of characters. This record is insane. Man. Yeah. Yep. So, Where? We listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> what so what or, I don't care or not I don't care we don't what was your introduction to the clash because you're a few years older than Wayne oh. and I I'll tell you my introduction in in a minute but I want sure because this was my introduction to the clash even though I didn't really dive in head first until after combat rock came out and then I bought this album after the fact um, so was this your jumping in point or was there another point? Well, yeah, no, I'm, uh, no, I'm pretty sure I did not own any Clash albums before London Calling, though I had probably heard of the Clash. In 1980, I was, and this record, oh, I think it was recorded in 1979, but I think Correct. it came out in the States in 1980. I would have been 17 years old. So I was right, I was right in the zone. Yeah. And I was like... A new wave guy. I was into. I was into all that stuff. I loved all this new music. Of course, the Clash were on my radar, and I, I don't. Though American radio, and I listened mostly to just American New York rock radio, and yeah, they might have played a Clash song here and there, and I might have heard a Clash song on the radio, but I, probably the first thing I really heard that was getting really played was London Calling, yeah, which immediately was a huge hit, and uh, and you know the hype about it was you know I think I probably got it like Christmas nineteen eighty. Because the hype was so intense, like you know, the, uh, I, there was a sticker on the record. I wish I still had it. Right, the only band that matters. Yeah. Um, there was an actual sticker that Epic put on the album, um, and so they were they were the band of the moment. Everyone knew it. Everyone talked about it. If you read any kind of, if you read Rolling Stone or any rock magazine, the Clash, the Clash, the Clash. Yep. So, um, so I, I, I must have, I, I'm sure I must have heard a single or something. But I, I know that I didn't know any of the first two or three records. So. Hang uh, uh, give enough rope or the first album I did or I didn't have any of those records but I ran out and got this one and I listened to it and I, and I loved it and Topperhead and the drummer became a huge huge influence on me I was going to ask so how much right how much Topper influenced your drumming well Topper's one of those guys who like like the drummer in the attractions for example Elvis's drummer uh, uh, Pete Thomas yeah. was capable of shifting gears and being a kind of a chameleon he wasn't a one-note drummer Stuart Copeland for example who was a big influence on me as well yep. because of his energy had a particular style he didn't he didn't do a lot of different stuff he did Stuart Copeland uh, Topper was the kind of guy who he could play reggae here he could kind of play soul he could you know he could he could adopt different kind of the band was really mutable in that way they liked to kind of come at different angles and different rhythms and uh, they were much more experimental that way and Topper was a great drummer for that because he had a lot of different skill sets he wasn't a one note drummer I feel other drummers I had like whoever Tory Crimes or Terry Chimes or whatever those guys 
they didn't have any kind of personality. He had a ton of personality. He had a very, he had a a very aggressive style, and a very aggressive sound. But B, he was also very relaxed. It's a kind of an odd combination. You can be very aggressive, but also like really lay back and do some really, you know. Obviously, they were very comfortable in the studio. You can hear in this record how comfortable they were, like kind of making stuff up on the spot. Because the record is very spontaneous. Uh, I don't know how much they rehearsed or didn't rehearse, but you can hear in this recording this sort of like his his willingness to sort of take chances with the microphones on in a way that I probably would never have done. But uh, yeah, he was a very loose drummer, very experimental, uh, and, and so it was a huge influence on me because I could he, he was one of those guys who could do anything. It seemed to me. Yeah, so you brought up that you probably got it in 1980. So this this came out yes. in the UK in December of 79, came out in the US in January of 80. That makes sense. My birthday was probably in March, so it's a good chance I maybe got it for my birthday okay. in March. That's possible. Or so my bought- introduction to The Clash was whenever Train in Vain came out. Right, that was probably on the radio. That was it. That was a huge hit. Keep, keep in mind, I'm 11 at the time, and ah, so my music is all my parents' music. So at that point, it's very Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, which I still love, and Wayne makes fun of me <laughs> at times because how much I love Rumors still, um, and very Yacht Rock. So. I still love yeah. I still love me my Christopher Cross, which Wayne also makes fun of me about. He's right, but that's okay. I know <laughs> whatever. Um, but I heard Train in Vain, so it got played on KNBQ. If you were, and that's if like you a recall. classic. It's like a classic soul song. It is. Yeah, and there's nothing really particularly punk rock about that song. No, and I and I heard that song, and I had a tape recorder that I would tape songs off of the radio. And I heard that song. Oh, it's so great. I'll, I'll try to do every song right <laughs> here. So, so I taped it on a cassette. When I tell people the one song that changed the way I listen to music, it's Train in Vain. Because that was so different from everything else that I listened to at that point that I was like, I want more of this. And that's when, and so when I started hearing the police on the radio, I'm like, I need that. And I need every single damn police tape that that exists that new wave sensibility that you that that train in vain has right but also has that soul that you just mentioned right Right. like i said i think that's the one song that changed everything for me as far as i want more of that um i probably just gave away (laughs) my favorite song so um, I'm saving all my comments for the I, end. Okay. Yeah. So saving I was gonna all my comments. I was gonna save it till the end, but I felt like I needed. Well, it is to, the last song on the record. I know. I but I did need to lay down the groundwork as far as. Yeah. I didn't buy London Calling until after Combat Rock came came out. 
And of course, Rock the Casbah is huge. Should I stay? Was huge. Um, and so when I bought L London Calling, and I'm thinking that everything else is very similar to Combat Rock, and everything is similar to Train in Vain, and I get it home like mind blown. What the hell? Yeah. Because oh, yeah. this incorporates so much different musical. Right. It, it was so different, like the, you yeah. know, uh, the Pistols. Like I'd had the Pistols record, and that's one. You know, it's just a, like that's like being punched in the face. That record is like a just a yes. wall of aggression. It's angry and very satisfying in that way. I love that record too. <laughs> but there's a whole different, you know, like this Clash record's more like a Springsteen record. It's rangy. It's open spaces, it's characters, it's all these references to all, all kinds of stuff. It's like a Dylan record in ways. It's a whole different animal. There's completely no comparison. Like, you know, as a punk rock, you know, trying to figure out what punk rock is. Yeah. It's not what you, whatever you think it is, it's not that. Yeah, and I, this is the band that makes, that really solidifies punk rock as much more of an attitude than a sound. Like, they don't sound like the Ramones, even though that was a band that that influenced them they don't sound like the sex pixels all those bands those three bands sound so different but yet well not the ramones aren't angry they're just they're just going to strip away all the bullshit that they don't like yeah uh, yeah but the one thing i love about I think john Johnny Ryan, was john uh, yeah dd was so high but uh yeah, dd was high johnny was angry one thing I respect about Johnny Rodden is he is this is a lot of is the same thing I respect so much about Joe Strummer is it's absolute conviction, like absolutely uh, Joe Strummer's convictions are much more noble than Johnny Rodden's. But either way, they yeah. are all fucking right. in. There's they're not leaving anything else. The quality, the the, the nature of Joe Strummer's personality and, and what he brings. I mean, they were great songwriters, both him and Jones. Uh, great songwriters uh, and very and we're able to get a lot of human detail into their writing in a way that Johnny was not really that's not really his style but yeah Joe's political uh, convictions you know and his humanism and his defense of the little guy and like his like be aware you know, know your rights like where do you find a guy like that I mean that's the whole he's the whole linchpin the, the, he's the, the beating heart and soul of that yeah. you know, but, I, I like the I like the fact that you guys brought up a couple of these band comparisons because so last year I did a little bit of a deep dive on the kinks. I, I was hoping that I could find some comparisons of that Joe was inspired by the kinks because there are some songs on here that I feel are very Ray Davies. Sure. Another, another guy who's like great at uh, character details. Yeah. You know, human character details. Yep, for sure. Um, all right, what else do we want to say? So you already brought up Topper. Topper, yeah, Topper, tremendous influence. Uh, and, you know, when you then later, if you got to actually see, because what happened was around that time, I started to go out. I started to, as a teenager, I started to go out clubbing in New York City. And one of the first places I would go, uh, there was Monday night at the Ritz. Ritz was a big concert venue on downtown. Okay. Uh, you know, it was like a 5,000 seat, you know, it was a big hall. Uh, with a big proscenium stage, which I was lucky to play a number of times. And but on Monday nights they had dance nights, so it was like five thousand, six thousand people in there, new wave people with like great haircuts. And uh, they put a big screen down, and they showed videos. And that was the new thing, watching videos and right. dancing at the same time. Danceteria had kind of pioneered that. Um, uh, Danceteria was the pre, pre preeminent 
dance club in New York City. Okay. But uh, the, but the dance night, the Monday night dance night was a huge event, and I would go there. Actually, the first yeah, the first my first like serious girlfriend I met in that place. But I remember they would that big screen would come down and they'd play like Rock the Casbah or they'd play like Radio Clash, uh, which is a little bit later than this. Mm-hmm. But but watching Clash, watching videos of the Clash and seeing them. You get chills thinking about it because the, when you, then you saw them and how they performed and the energy with, that they brought to their performance—this sort of visceral, all-in kind of energy—that as a young musician, that goes straight into your cortex. Like you, I just never seen it. There's very few bands like maybe the MC5 contain that kind of raw kind of, you know, it's it's joyous, it's it's you know physical. The Smithereens, or I was thinking about the Smithereens recently, but they were, the bass player of the Smithereens was kind of like that, to Mike Mazzaro's. But yeah, it's that kind of like physical exaltation about being in a rock band, that that big noise, the, the, the clash. Like, it's you can't think of, imagine a more exciting band to like watch. Yeah. We haven't even brought up Mick's name yet. We've brought up Joe. Mick Jones. Uh, yeah, no, Mick Jones, uh, very, Mick Jones, uh, another like phenomenal, like, Producer, songwriter, uh, lead guitar, very great lead guitarist, yep. uh, really under yeah. undervalued. Yeah, he does so much lead. I, the, and I was the thing I was would say about Train in Vain is the one thing that it 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 does highlight is that I I feel like he's the strongest musician because that song is so different than anything. Like they vary their styles a lot, but that song in and of itself is. And the thing, what I was going to say is. It's not one of my favorite Clash songs, but it's one of my favorite songs. It to me, it's it, I take it out and put it's by itself. It transcends right. the group, right. and by right. it's a phenomenal song musically and lyrically. Uh, but I as but if you were to ask me my my ten favorite Clash songs, it wouldn't be in there. But if you were to ask right. me my it's not very my, it's my not 10, twenty-five favorite songs yeah. of all time, it's absolutely yeah. in there. Right. But you can hear Big Audio Dynamite. You know, way oh, back, yeah. way before it happened. Oh yeah, oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, really remarkable. And the auto, the great auto didact, the self-taught uh, bass player, like Daniel from Not a Surf, who was a tremendous. Like I think I don't think he has a bigger influence than Paul Simonon. Uh, that is uh, that is Daniel's alpha and and omega. Like uh, the way Daniel plays with his bass down around his knees. I mean, it's similar right. up and down, up and down the pipe. Yeah. That's, that was his first and is still probably his overarching, like his biggest influence. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, absolutely. The way Daniel, the early, the, I, what, what I'm told, I wasn't there, but the early, not a surf rehearsals were all like, uh, a brand new Cadillac and a couple of Stooges songs. That's all they knew. That's all they could play. A couple of one, four fives, brand okay. new Cadillac. And like, I don't know, maybe like, Fun, yeah. yeah, and Paul, can we just talk about the iconic album cover? Oh, yeah, so that's that's Paul smashing his, his fender, palladium in New York City. His yeah. fender, his fender, his fender, uh, position frust- frustrated over the treatment of the crowd, too. I mean, it's just it's absolutely is that what it was? Yeah, the security guards were were roughing up some of the of the audience and he, he I think it, I had read something there he was yelling to try to get him to stop and it wasn't happening and he just mm. he said it was pure frustration and you just smashed it yeah so the quote said, was didn't do anything I wasn't wrong. taking it out on the bass guitar 
because there ain't nothing wrong with it. <laughs> wow. That's funny because, you know, I have to say, like, I, it's hard for me to imagine because, uh, you know, when I think about English audiences and, Eng- like, English venues they must have played, and English audiences, I guarantee you, are much, 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 and always were, and, and certainly at that time, had to have been much, much rowdier than American audiences. British Clash fans had to have been, like, this side of soccer hooligans. And I guarantee you that what went on in the pit in, a, in, a, in, the, in an English club would have been much more violent than anything that happened in an American club. I, I was in England. My first tour was, was opening for the Damned in, in, uh, in 1984, 1985, a couple of years later. I was, uh, and I saw violence every night, the bouncers, and the, like, they would just beat the shit out of the guys down front. It was just like a, it was a free for all. It was a bloody free for all. You're lucky they got out of there with your teeth. Um, so I'm surprised that he would. Well, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not surprised that he was frustrated. But I would imagine they must have seen a lot of violence in their audiences down front. Yeah, yeah they must have. But I, I, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Simon. If he, you know, if he was, if that's the story, that's the story. But that's the story, <laughs> according to the internet. There must have been a lot of violence at, at, cla- at, cla- at clash at clash at clash shows. There must have been a lot of violence. Yeah. Okay. All right. Before we dive track by track, I also want to um, talk about the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of Time. So this was okay. number eight on the 2012 list. The 2020 okay. list is now number 16. Oh, so many great records fall. came out in those. So many great records came out in those eight years. No. <laughs> uh, we've already talked about Lauren Hill on the podcast. That's now in the top ten okay. instead of the Clash. I've already said my piece. That's a very that's that a very episode. woke decision. So I'll just leave it there. It's their list. They can do what they want. That's all right. Listen, it's not my the, list. Well, you and I know that. You know that those lists don't mean shit. They're just for us. To, they're just for guys like us to argue. It is. It's totally it. I just want to. We say this all the time. Wayne. Drummers, drummers are the drum, believe me, drummers are the worst. Drummers, I see this all the time on these like drum forums on like Facebook, yeah. and some drummer will go, "The top, my top five drummers are this guy you've heard of, this guy you've heard of, this guy you've never heard of, this guy you've heard of, this guy you've heard of." And this, and I'm supposed to go, and I'm supposed to go, who is this guy? Yeah. Like I swear to God, like I think I, I've been a drummer for a long time. And this one jazz drummer. No, actually, I had to. I, I didn't want to do it. I'm like, I'm not looking this guy up. I'm not doing it, but I had to do it. I'm like, all right, who is this asshole? It was a drummer for a band called Y and T. Now, listen, nothing against Y wow. and T. I'm sh- some people like that kind of stuff. I'm not one of those people. I'm like, really, you, you're trying to sneak your Y and T drummer in with like Ginger Baker and Keith Moon? Give me a break. Stop it. Stop it. It's just made for you to. It's just made for me to troll you. And that's of course what I did. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. Oh, I trolled them. I trolled them so hard. Oh my god, I'm a bastard. I'm the worst. I say like, I, so I write in like, I'm not even going to look up who this asshole is. And some guy writes in, well, I suppose. Uh, uh, I'll tell you. Know, you. Your, yeah, and I said, and I said, well, you know, he's is this guy? I don't know what he said, but like, my response was like, oh, oh, he's not around. Evidently, he's not. He's not alive anymore. This this guy. Okay. I said, "Oh, I'm too bad he's not around anymore to listen to, to hear me play." Like I, I just, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm sorry. It's awful. It's awful. The dead. Oh, I love it. All right. Anyway, Let, let's jump into let's this. Move on. Let's go. Let's, let's go track by track. Yes. So 
As a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? Nineteen. Nineteen. Days. And usually no, Wayne no, 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 cringes 19. when it's over ten. So. Uh, twelve. I have to twelve. Yeah. Twelve is the magic number. Okay. So that means our top song is going to get 19 points. Nick's favorite, 18 on down to lowest score of one. So we will kick this off. And yes, you people that are listening to this live stream, here's the sausage making factory. We don't listen to the album while we're talking about it. So sound clips come in after. I know. It's crazy. Oh, it's too real, man. I know. So we'll kick this off with London Calling. Come out of the cupboard, you boys and girls. London Calling, now don't look to us. Phony Beatlemania is bitten the dust. London Calling, see we ain't got no swing. Except for the rain and the crunch of thing. The ice is coming, the sun's zooming in. Meltdown expected, the wheat is going in. Engines stop running, but I have no fear, cause London is drowning. I live by the river, to the imitation zone. Forget it, brother, you can go in a And song was written by Joe and Mick. Should, should we talk about songwriting credits? Because it's mostly In Joe. In most cases, it was Joe wrote the lyrics and Mick wrote the music. There is, yeah, and there's cases. There are a couple covers. We'll talk about those. Um, And Paul gets one song on the record. Yeah, we'll talk about that as well. I'm sure. Um, All right, London Colin, Ira, get us started. Um, uh, Oh, he's gonna do. He's gonna rip. I don't know. I don't know what key it's in. No, I don't know what key. Right, right around there. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's like a marching. It's, uh, I look at drum, and this is a great example of drums, the drum drum beats are like, are um, the great drum beats are the ones that are a representative of human motion. Uh, great dance beats, they make you want to move. This is a song that makes you want to run out in the street and fucking punch a cop. This is like, pro- <laughs> this is protest music. Bam, bam, bam. It's like a march. It's a march. It's a march. It's like a death, a death march to your impending doom. This song yeah. is all about, yeah, it's apocalyptic. It's just yeah. completely, uh, he's, I, I just, and musically he conveys that in that, in that marching sound. It gets the whole thing going. And I love lyrically, he starts pointing fingers right away to that that power generation and bla- you know referencing swinging London and their phony Beatlemania right. and this is right. where you guys have put us and I love he does Joe Strummer can take one or two words and really put images in your head and Truncheon is a police baton and just like that he throws all that authoritarian bullshit yep. right on top of the generation in power that before in in the 60s were you know taking any kind of pill you could get and swinging around and having all kinds of good times and now they're the ones that are are putting are put have put us all in this danger 
uh, and then right into and then then not to stop pointing fingers. That second verse goes right into those punk rock junkies. Uh, I love that line about I I don't I don't want to shout because while we were talking I saw, saw I saw you nodding I, out I saw you nodding out yeah and it, it's just I mean so he's got a little bit for everybody and even in the last that last verse he he uh, even puts a little bit on himself was I was there too yeah uh, so he right. he gets he right. he's not leaving anybody out and then those great choruses you know famine pestilence nuclear meltdown yeah. Yeah. ice age uh, sun it, zooming in it's yeah, it's all the engine stop running. It's all ending yeah. right here and there. Yeah. And I love the line, uh, "And London is drowning," uh, but I, I live by the river, so I'm going to go first, and I won't have to put up with any of this shit. Yeah, it's fucking fantastic. It's it's pure genius. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of stuff. If you unpack the lyrics, the nuclear air is talking about Three, Three Mile, Mile Island. Island. Oh wow! You've got you've got when he's talking about living by the river one of the things that i read was there was a big concern that if the river times if if it flooded most of london's going underwater right this is a new orleans situation right right um and then the one other thing that i thought was just brilliant which I didn't know until I started doing some research. So where where you hear at the the song fade out, where you hear the the boop 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 or whatever it oh, yeah, is, yeah. like yeah. telegraph that's, type. That's Morse code. That's SOS. Oh, you're right, right. I had no idea. But and not I'm like, only that, what about that genius. horrifying, echoey crow cackle he does in between? It's just it's it's so. Yeah, yeah, it's so Mad Max end of days. It just yeah. he, he just kills yeah. it right out of the gate. Yeah, it's it's just really an unprecedented style that he had developed for himself. It was really, uh, really remarkable. It's so good. Um, most listened to song on Spotify for this album at the time of us recording this episode, 194 million listens. Wow, it's not the most listened to song from the boys though. What do you think that is? Oh, by the Clash? It would probably be Rock the Casbah, I'm guessing. Should I stay That's or should I go? That's actually third. Oh, third. Hmm. Most listened to Clash. Should I stay or should I go? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. 558 million. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just a few. All right. Should we get scores? Because we can, t- like I can spend the next hour and a half talking about London yeah. calling it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's so true. All these, songs are, all these songs are worthy of long debate. Yeah. Uh, so you want my score? Right. Yes, your score. Uh, my score, this is really near the top. Not quite all the way to the top, but I gave it a solid 17. Okay, Wayne. A 14. And this is my 18. 18. All right, let's get to the next song. This is Brand New Cadillac. throw to you because this scored higher for you I, than and you know I love 
I love the energy of this song. This is, and I love the story. Like this is one of the songs when they showed up at those rehearsals and had no songs. They, <laughs> this is a song they played. Right. And this is right. a song that inspired, the, uh, so in a way, this is one of the songs that ins, is inspiring this whole masterpiece. And so I, I don't know that if, I, I, ever since Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, I try to figure out how to make double records into single records. And so I might let this one go. But I love, I love the energy of it. They take, and just like they did with I Fought the Law, they take this rockabilly song and absolutely make it punk rock. Like in their hands, right. it's completely different. Than, and I also love also that Vince Taylor, uh, according to David Bowie, was the main inspiration for Ziggy Stardust. That I, ah. I, did, I don't know who I'd have never heard any other song from Vince Taylor. And, and now your voice. higher score makes sense. Besides yes. this, but no, yeah. this is all about the energy. This is all about, uh, and you can hear a lots of, you can hear this song echo through other songs in right. this record. Okay. Oh, absolutely. And Vince Taylor, maybe we didn't say this, but this is a cover of Vince Taylor and the Playboys. Vince Taylor and his Playboys. So this was re- released in. 59? Late 50s, yeah. Yeah, 59. I like, yeah. I was reading somewhere about that. Just that comment he makes there. Jesus Christ, where'd you get that Cadillac? Like, he's too excited. He's almost too excited to be angry about it. He's like, wow, that that Cadillac's awesome. And I don't think Jesus Christ reference is in the original. I did listen to the original. I don't think it's in there. (laughs) No? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Am I imagining that? No, no, the Clash throw it in. The there. Clash do. The Clash throw it in. Oh, yeah, oh, of course. Obviously not. Was, no, no, no. It wouldn't have been no. the original, original. Oh, yeah. No. I'm sorry. I, no. I, forgot, I keep forgetting it's not their song. I always just assume right. it's their song. All right. Anything else before scores on Brand New Catalog? No, like I said, this was an early Not A Surf uh, rehearsal classic uh, before I joined the band. Like when they were just learning, when those guys were just learning to play, um, yeah. like the Clash, they would, this is one of those, like, it's a really easy kind of one, four, five couple little guitar riffs it's, a, it's great it's a great it's a classic garage garage rock jam for, for sure alright Wayne your score 11 Ira I uh, I gave it a 6 I don't know why I only gave it 6 but uh, this is a hard song this is a hard record to score but I, I just gave it 6 I'm not I didn't dwell yeah. on it too long right, this <laughs> is my 3 and I feel bad about my score because I do yeah no all these songs song. all these songs like they deserve 19 most of them all right, next song is Jimmy Jazz. Police walk in for Jimmy Jazz. I said he ain't here, but he sure went past. Oh, you're looking for Jimmy Jazz. Yeah, they said, stop the massacre for Jimmy Dredd. Cut off his gears and chop off his head. Police come look. Speaking of a song that doesn't deserve a 19, this would be my. <laughs> yeah. This right. is my lowest. This is my lowest score. It's one of oh, my lowest. Yeah. I, yeah. I and the same thing. Like I say, the first two come out with different kinds of energy, but a lot of energy, and and this one it lacks that energy. I didn't like his that that lazy vocal style, which I understand. He's yeah. trying to kind of speaking from this guy who's being asked about his a, a friend or associate by the cops, so he doesn't. You know, he's kind of going to be fast and loose with, with uh, the information. Right. But it goes on too long, and then they start throwing their sound effects in it, and he's kind of vamping at the end. Um, I, Once again, if it, if, it, if it wasn't here, 
it wouldn't have broke my heart. Yeah. This is not not one of the strongest songs on the And there is a chain of menswear. That's right. Uh, I would always pass it on 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 Delancey yeah. Street, right near right in New York on Delancey Street, right near the right near the Williamsburg Bridge. It was a Jimmy Jazz. I always I always wonder if they named it after that. It, it did. I looked on their website. It said it's named after his favorite song from The Clash. Wow. <laughs> Which, so if this is your favorite song by The Clash, <laughs> yeah. obviously like, you haven't the, listened the to the rest could, of the their The clothes you could buy at Jimmy Jazz had absolutely nothing to do with anything. Like, there's so, like, not a punk rock kind of place. No. <laughs> That's really hilarious. How much do we rely on song meetings? The, the song, For Jimmy the, Jazz? The website. I, it said I try that, not to look at it. Okay. It said that Jimmy Jazz was a nickname for Topper. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't know if that's I accurate I, or not. I, I, I wouldn't know. That's interesting. It's possible because, it's possible because he, he might have been a jazz guy and they probably gave him a hard time about it. So. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, did anybody look up Sada Masagana? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> what is that? Like a, what is that? Like a... So it's a Hindu term. It's a term used in Rastafarian jams, and it means give thanks. Oh, nice! So you're welcome. Oh, Uh, gave you a a useless fact that you can use on your friends at the next party that you have. That's like Inshallah, you know, uh, God, God willing. That's a nice. It's a nice term. Absolutely. All right. I already told you this is my lowest, Wayne. This is also my least favorite. I, I gave it a three. Ira. I gave it a three. Okay. Okay. It's not. And this is not a white power sign. I want to be clear. I, I, I now I've watched that. I read that article the other day about that poor guy who like on, he was on Jeopardy and he like he won the first one and he went oh, like this yeah. and he won the second game and he won the third game and he went like this and there was like a whole. The story is fucking ridiculous. It's so crazy. Everyone like he gave a white power sign. That's how umpires do it. Wow, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I gave it a three. Okay. Next song is Hateful. this it said it was only performed three times live hmm. interesting it's a really strong song I wonder why they didn't play it I, I'm trying to figure out is it because some of the songs oh, you, do you not were, know what the were about? tough oh. but, I'm one, but I'm wondering if it is the lyrical content because this is very anti-drug song right. and I don't know if maybe they thought they were being hypocritical at times Possibly. because there was some drug taking going on in this band. There was some drug taking. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, clearly this is a song about him. I mean, this is a song about a relationship between him and his and his dealer. I mean, clearly that's what this is about. Yeah. Oh, yeah and yeah. when you start talking about your man and waiting for your man, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's it was clear. It's clear from the beginning. I think the coolest, like he does a lot of clever things in this, but I think the. The, the, my favorite part is when he says, and it's paid for, 
and I'm so grateful. And he, then he kind of just pauses for a second to say, to be nowhere. Right. Like he, it, yeah, it checked gives out. it, it's like he, he ropey dopes you right there. It's like, it sounds like one thing and then he adds something right. on after a little bit of a pause. Yeah. But yeah, this is right. all, uh, it's got such a, it's got a kind of. You think he's saying like, yeah, I'm happy to just to be kind of fucked up and out of it. Well, I think he, it makes it sound like it, um, uh, it's paid for and I'm grateful to be nowhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. like he's, yeah, he's yeah. whacked out on the junk right. and he doesn't care anymore. But like I say, just l- watching the song progress it, and at the end he's, you know, he's, lo- I lost my memory, right. my mind, right. I can't see right. it. This, this stuff is killing me. And yet this is my goal every right. day is to do you think, scramble do you think up enough talking, money to go find my guy. Do you think he was talking about himself? No, I don't. I don't know. I've never heard anything to indicate that I, that Joe Strummer had a problem like this. But I mean, obviously, so, something I read it. said he wrote this for Sid Vicious. That's it. I mean, that makes sense. Oh wow! I mean, I don't. I think we know that we know the that Mick and thing about Topper Sid both ended up as junkies, but I don't know if they. Had that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it started this remember. early. But that whole London scene, even like I've been reading, please kill me about the the New York punk scene and where it started and. Great book. Everybody but Joey Ramone and Legs McNeil are on our. Yeah, it was, it was extremely up. popular. Seems crazy. Yeah. And they all talk about it so casually, like, like they live their life and then they go get some heroin and shoot up. Like and some they sort of live Keith Richards obsession, I think. And they were all love Keith Richards and they wanted to be like him. Like Patty wanted to be like him. And, yeah. You know, the spiky boost so. haircuts. And I think they all just wanted to emulate Keith Richards on some level. It's all Keith's fault. Yeah, and you know what? Keith Richards would say that it also is all he. He, <laughs> he would take credit. For yeah. Everything. <laughs> he would, yeah, he would yeah. totally take credit. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. All right, scores on hateful. I uh, I gave it a hateful. I gave it a thirteen. Lucky thirteen. Okay. This is my ten, Wayne. Eight. All right. Next song is Rudy Can't oh, Fail. Another great song. shared vocal song because a lot of a lot of the songs we've heard up to this point has really been Joe yeah, it's usually one or the other right and this has got this starts with a kind of, kind of like a Bo Diddley kind of thing right it's kind of right <laughs> kind of like a, got that kind of Bo Diddley thing it's a great beat yeah Wayne what do you got on this one what uh, you find? Yeah, I I love that ska vibe, um, and I love like there's all of these little things that are supposed to be paying homage to, you know, those that that rude boy subculture from Jamaica, and there's that I want to say Doctor Alamanantado Tado. It's there's all kinds of different things that they who was a producer, because um, I even I believe the chicken suit line is a reference to an album of his. So they do all this, but. All of that, I still feel very much like there's a subtext about, you know what? Don't listen to the old guys. Like they they tell you to get a job and uh, you know clean up your act and stop drinking beer for breakfast. Like don't 
don't listen to them. They're, Rudy Can't Fail has always come across to me as from the perspective of the old people. Rudy Can't Fail because we need Rudy to pay his Social Security taxes so that I can be taken care of. Like, it's important for us, this older generation, we need this younger generation. They're the ones that are going to take care of us. And Rudy Can't Fail. Um, wow. Because of what it means for what it means to us. I read this is why I keep weighing around. So that's very interesting. That's I never thought about it that I'm, I'd I'm never thought of that, that either. So we were, I, see, I, I should really like, I'm going to need to revisit all these. So we reply, I mean, I have to like really look like who's saying what and what point of view is this, this song. Really from, but. Yeah. The two, the way they switch back. So there's, they kind of switch. Mick does a majority of it, but even at the end of it, Joe starts to come in, and then Joe does the majority of that. Uh, I went to the market. You hear them saying, so the first verse is you hear them saying, right, so them, mm-hmm. and then we reply. Yeah, so I have to really look at, like, who them and we are. Like, I would imagine they would take the side of Rudy. I mean, they're the rude boys, and they would be... Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, I'd like to say, and I think that's his, that underlying message from Joe Strummer is don't listen to those old guys. They don't. Well, you know, they're only worried about themselves and how you affect, how your success is going to affect them and what they need. So, you know what? Drink beer for breakfast. You know, do whatever. Do you know? You be you. Yeah, love it. I almost wanted to give this my 19 just because there's a reference to the 19 bus in the lyrics. But oh, that's could, great. He also refers it. to Michael, which is actually Mick Jones's real, real first name. Okay. You think you're pretty hot so on the Michael? listener. On the listener comments over here, so Kevin Peters, one of our um, one of our longtime listeners, Kevin says Rudy can't fail is my nineteen ever since I saw Jesse Mallon cover it a few years ago. Jesse Mallon, another root great great, great musician from Queens. <laughs> Absolutely, Queens I just mouse. listened to um, I just listened to the Jesse Mallon album that was produced by Lucinda really oh wow nice. good stuff alright um, I did have to look up Sky Juice Sky Juice you know what Sky Juice is sure. 10 cents a bottle Sky Juice no, what is that so it's Sky Juice is a Bahamian cuisine beverage that combines Bahamanian. coconut water or coconut milk condensed milk or evaporated milk and then alcohol that sounds good. And they throw some nutmeg or cinnamon on top of it. Yeah. That sounds good. Wayne's looking at me like, he's like, what, you didn't know that? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah I don't know that because I don't drink. drink so. Sky, Sky juice. juice with my coconut milk all the time. Tossed coconut salad, fresh coconut yeah. milk. That's right. I hate coconuts. So Kevin, Kevin's going to hate my, my score now that he's already thrown down his 19. So this is my nine. Hey, let him get his own podcast. Uh, Wayne, your score? As soon as he's 50, that's the rule. I have 13. All right, Ira. Uh, uh, Rudy Can't Fail? Yes. I gave it a 16. All right. Next song is Spanish Bombs. Spanish songs in Andalusia. There's shooting sides in the days of 39. Oh, please leave the vendetta open. Federico Lago. And oh, by the way, this is where we flip the record over to side two. So this is the beginning of side two. Another shared vocal song. 
Mickey Gallagher is on this on the organ. And if you don't yes. know who Mickey Gallagher is, um, he does play a lot on Clash Clash songs, but he's also part of Ian Drury and the Blockheads. Ah, that's a little great little factoid. All right. Did, did either of you guys look up the Spanish interpretations of the chorus? Yeah. Um, what's funny is I so I I read the ones that were in Wikipedia. I read yeah. I read the Joe Strummer one, which is absolutely ridiculous. Like none of those words are even in there. And so then I just took the big <laughs> words and went into Google and said translate uh, these words. And as best I could come up with was I want you forever. My heart agrees. Nobody but me has said that. That was, but I used I just translated the actual words. So I don't. Is there a Joe Strummer translation? Yeah, a Google Translate. You no, just put would, in English no, into he Joe Strummer. It Spanish, which just makes <laughs> yeah. some words mean other things than they actually yeah. do in Spanish. And I'll say to you that also, this is heavily. That's another reason that 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 Daniel that not a surf and Daniel in particular loved the Clash was their their loose use of Spanish in the same way that the Pixies were a tremendous influence on early okay. uh, Not a Surf by they're also using like kind of like weird bad Spanish and threw it in there like they would say some like you know maybe it was proper Spanish maybe it was not I certainly would have not have known and I think Summer was the same way like he, was, he would just like throw I don't know like it's not not, transla- not directly translatable right it's, yeah. and if it's Clash Spanish who's going to argue with them yeah cl- they should be a, they should give a class in Clash Spanish I speak only Clash Spanish. Yeah, we need it's to like come up with Spanish. We need to come up with an app for that. Two years of high school Spanish, and I, I got. I want yeah. you. I want you forever. My heart agrees. All right, that works. finito. Works for me. All right. Anything yeah. else on the lyrics? Oh, this this song. Uh, I, this Wayne's is a, off to the races. Oh, All right. No, this I'm is. Just, a, no, this I want to know what. The, no, I tra- I've, I've always wondered what this song was really about. Well, it's uh, so it's he's re- he's referencing the the Spanish Civil War from, you know, 36 to 39, and he's overlapping it with all of the British, uh, all the British subjects who go down to Spain to where the beaches are. It's every, anybody who's ever been to England right. says it looks, it looks just like living here in Washington. So I, I, I can't, I got to imagine, I just left for Costa Rica. It was 85 degrees with 80% humidity, 24-7. But the sun was shining all the time. Oh, wow, 12 hours a day. But then the rest of the time I was asleep and drinking. But Spain is a very famous place for English people to go holiday. Yeah, yeah. And so he's, he, those are a lot. So the hotel references, the DC-10s, that's what's bringing them in. Uh, the casinos. Uh, and he's even, like he's saying it like me. I'm hearing music from another time. But then he even throws a little uh, Northern Ireland uh, shot in there with the Irish tomb was drenched in blood. So he's comparing these vast separatists that are that are blowing things up in in current times uh spain with the same things that are happening in belfast and yeah oh that's so fascinating oh wait this is great way i'm gonna have go re-listen to these songs with a whole new light after this This yeah like i said the one thing I, i gave this a very high score because i like i'd said earlier he's a true revolutionary like he's not pretending to He's not pretending. He literally is rooting for the freedom fighters. He's absolutely Che Guevara. He's like, 
believes, uh, you know, he's the Patrick Henry. He, those, those guys that have a passion for revolution. They want to see change. Um, and every revolution needs those guys. Yeah. All right. Scores. All right. What do you got? I got uh, 11. All right. Wayne? 16. All right. This is my 13. I feel like the beginning of I feel like the first disc of the record is heavily weighted. The higher numbers are all on me. Yeah. On the first disc. It's a top path. Okay. All right. It's front it's front heavy it's front heavy. I think side two is heavy for me. Alright, um Yeah, me too. The right profile is next. Her place in the sun. And this is a song about the actor Montgomery Clift. Montgomery Wayne, this is not the first time I, we've talked no, about Mr. Clift. To it. Yeah, this is the second song about Montgomery Clift that we've discussed on this podcast. And I will say that I choose to believe that Monty got a raw deal off Automatic for the People is Michael Stipe's reaction to the right profile. Okay. I got nothing to back that up. Oh, okay. I have to go listen to that again, too. Uh, well, he... The, so, Ron, Monty Got a Raw Deal is also discussing Montgomery Cliff, and it has a much more sympathetic... Um, because this was a guy who was one of the top actors of his time. Um, uh, there's later... You know, there's... it's He's rumored to be much along the lines of James Dean, where there's a sexual ambiguity that he's probably... You know, that he may be closeting uh, something that's going to have an effect on him. But while he, he'd get hurt, he got hurt... And they needed him on set, so they'd give him pills. And then he got addicted to pills and became surly and started drinking and didn't show up, and they cut him loose. So the stories, and it's not all cut and dry, but this is, I feel like uh, Joe, Joe Strummer can be snarky, but he almost always points it at worthy targets. And this time it felt like right. he, was, he was being unsympathetic to a sympathetic character. I mean, I don't see it. I don't. I mean, I think he. I don't think he would have written that song if he did. If he, if he didn't like. And, and it could be in the delivery, but I mean, like I say, the the right profile is a reference to the fact that he was in an accident that scarred up his left side. Right. And they'd have to take his profiles from the right, right side, so because he still looked pretty. Yeah, I. You know, I mean, I see it as a. I think he must have liked. And I think he must have identified with with Montgomery on some level to write this song. About. That's what I, I can't, think too. I can't think he would write it. Because he didn't have respect for Monty, I think he did. Because he did, but I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It, it could all be the delivery, but it, it doesn't come off. It comes off. Well, it's kind of well, yeah. I guess because it's like yeah, it does. I guess the horn. It sounds like a party. It's kind of. Like but also at the same time, I had heard that he was challenged to write a song about Montgomery Cliff. It wasn't his idea. Somebody's, uh, I believe it was, was it Guy Stevens, the, guy the Stevens. producer, yeah. says. I I was almost like I bet you can't write a song about Montgomery Cliff. So really, yeah. So there's there's uh, and apparently some of the similar problems that Montgomery Cliff had, so did Guy Stevens. So there could be some transference there that I'm not, you know, reading into it. But like I say, a li- I read a little bit about uh, about it when we did Automatic for the People, and so I I got a much more sympathetic view of it. And so then when and 
this is a song that, and once again, I like it, and I listened to it for years without really, you know, getting much past the surface, and I, are you, I always enjoyed it. So are you, let me analyze this for a second. So are you thinking that Michael Stipe's reaction was in counter being more sympathetic? Yeah, yeah. Like this, like Monty's getting a raw deal in Joe Strummer's song. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a a different perspective and I'm going to, you know what? Give him a give him a little bit of because I can I can see where you're coming, but I also I'm also with you, Ira, that I I don't I don't know if he's yeah he doesn't seem like that kind of person. So either it was he's putting some of this transference onto Guy Stevens, who does have an alcohol and drug problem, and is that he sees every day, and he's just using this famous actor's name. I'll tell Um, you the reason why I don't I I think that he's it's more sympathetic is because the lyric of of Nembital numbs it all, but I prefer alcohol. That I think that that. Well, Montgomery Clift used them both until he well, didn't okay. use anything anymore. But I, I, I say I can't say Joe. But that is the thing. I, I do agree with the fact that I mean okay. Joe Strummer became a vegetarian in 1971. In England, everything is meat. Like they, this, yeah. that's a big. He seems like a like, and I've mentioned his convictions before. He doesn't. So that's one of the parts of it. it this comes off snarky okay. for a guy that I find to be completely write songs from a much more positive even though anti-establishment yeah. I find them to be positive songs. Alright. But we still have 11 to- songs to <laughs> talk about. Okay. We're, giving, we're giving, maybe right. giving too much time to the let's right not get, Let's not get bogged down. But, uh, but I will tell you that I gave the right profile a, a solid 10. Okay. Because I just yeah, like this is my. F- I, I love it's it catchy. too. I gave it, I gave it my 14. Wayne? I gave it a 7. Okay. Next song is Lost in the Supermarket. This was was written by for one for the other. This was written. The lyrics were written by Joe Strummer. Mick Jones sings it, but there's so what I think is this is one of the things I like about this song, and he does this on on another song is where he tries to tie in two different groups without you almost even knowing it. So the first part of that, uh, the kid who lived in the suburbs with the hedge. Is Joe Strummer. His, Joe. Parent, his father was a British diplomat. He went off to boarding school. This is a guy who was, you know, lived, had every opportunity to live a very uh, good life. And then the second part of that is, you know, living in the apartment with people above it. Mick Jones lived in an apartment with his mother and his grandmother in a much more working class situation. So he right away, he ties the upper middle class and the working class together right away. 
in the same boat. They're in the same right. situation. They're being inundated on television and in the media Consumer and culture. by advertisers to buy, buy, buy. Crass right. consumerism. The irony is that this song was written before Walmart superstars existed or Costco's really existed. Right. But the, but the supermarket is the supermarket. It's like the sort of Western center, center of, uh, of, of uh, overt consumers. And I like, I like that this is, it's not the most unconventional thing in the world, but an unconventional move to start with the chorus because I think the chorus is important. But I think the part where there really shows what he's talking about is I uh, came here for this special offer, a guaranteed personality. They are promising you that this, you know, all this stuff, if you buy this stuff, you're going to feel better. You're going to be better. You're going to, you're going to have, you're going to be a giant you're hit discotheque album. Yeah. If you just, if you just buy this stuff. And like, so he starts with that. And then that, uh, the, oh, the line that kills me absolutely is I, I, I wasn't born as much as I fell out. Fell out. Like that is, so that good. means you have been. So good ignored since the second you were fucking yeah. born yeah that's by even the, the most of, uh, important people who should love you don't even you you're not cared about um and he go and that isolation just builds through the whole song and at the end uh you know the kids in the hall and the pipes in the walls are the mute are the sounds that he's looking for the silence makes me lonely like you can just see it from the from beginning to end yeah. It's a beautiful song. It's very, it's very, uh, it's, it's really superhuman, and, and it's a, it's a universal, it's a silly universal. Yeah, and musically, it's got this very soulful, soft, kind of soothing feel to it. Um, but once again, these lyrics are, you know, all about, you know, the isolation and this com- this consumerism. These people telling you again and again and again to buy this and buy this, and you'll be happy, and you'll yeah. be handsome, and you'll be. Right. Uh, the life right, of the you'll party be, you'll be tuned yeah. in you'll be yeah. yeah you'll be yeah you'll be everything you want you get your giant hit discotheque album and <laughs> yeah. yeah feel a bit Living free I get model and feel a bit Broadway. free yeah I think this is a classic uh, like a like just a classic uh, clash you know again like I said like the sort of working class you know that uh, so much as I fell out it's like the opening scene in that Mighty Python movie right Meaning of Life right this, they have like a, you know they have eight hundred kids. That's right. She's she's ironing and a kid hits the ground between her legs. <laughs> Every sperm is sacred. Yeah. Is that the right. <laughs> is that the montage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couple couple of other things on this that I found. So th- you'll appreciate this, Ira. Yes. So Topper mentioned in a nineteen ninety one interview that the night before they recorded this, he saw Taj Mahal. And he said, the drummer played a lot of snare beats on the floor time. So when I went in the next day, I thought that sounded good last night. So I'll use it on this song. Well, this, uh, this song is also full. If I'm not mistaken, he does, a, he does this thing that he, that I really identify with, with Topper, where like, like you're playing a straight beat. And then instead of, play, um, instead of playing a normal fill, let's say you would use the toms to sort okay. of play a, on the kind of a melody. He does this thing where he... he he does triplets between his hi hat and his snare drum. So he goes da 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 da. He sort of breaks three against four, and he does it in this kind of, in this sort of in, instead of turning around the drum like he would normally sort of play down around the drums this way, he stays right here, keeps the hi hat kick and snare thing going, and um, 
and I think this is the one where he does these sort of like triplet hi hat snare drum. He does it in a couple places on the record, but it's very, uh, very particularly the topper, and it's a, uh, it's a, it's a really great, very unusual way to play fills. Yeah. One other thing, this was another song that the band didn't play very many times live. That does that that does not surprise me. Well, somebody said it was because the bass line is actually multiple bass lines, oh, which they yeah. overdub. So you would have to pull in right. second bass to, right. to, to, to capture all that. But this song is so damn good. <laughs> it's a great song. Um, yeah. This is my 17, Wayne. Uh, this is also my 17. I think this is lyrically yeah. uh, just a brilliant effort. Yeah. Right, I give it Ira. a I'm a 14. 14. Okay. All right, next song. Clamp down. Greatest punk rock song of all time. Ooh, I don't think anything has been thrown. more anti-establishment with as as much con- like his whole heart and soul. The the star instrument on this song is Joe Strummer's conviction to this song and to not being part of this. And the, it's funny is so there's all of these great lyrics um, where he's he's you know discussing racism and all of these things and how the and he throws in little once again little lines when you say uh what's it blue-eyed men instantly you know hitler's master race you're like you're these um just like in later in it when he says the blue and brown i've always immediately thought cops and nazis like these are the people that are, are out to get you and there's a so when you make it to a certain point in life though when he says you can grow up and you can calm down. You're working for the clamp down. And you realize that I realize, like, I work for a major corporation. I have a serious job. I'm like, God damn it. I'm working for the fucking clamp down. It just happens just like that. But this is the song that I can't. I just this makes you want to pump your fist and to the beat of the song. It's it's unbelievable. I, I, I agree. I, I, again, it's the same sort of thing as in as in London Calling. It's got this beat like. I can see myself sort of jump, running up a flight of stairs, like out of the subway into the city. You know, it's kind of bah, bah. Uh, uh, yeah. The whole the whole arrangement of the song from beginning to end, like I, I get chills thinking about it. It's, it. it's absolutely my favorite song. It's my favorite song on this record. I, I, it's it get, I gave it a nineteen, but uh, it's it's that is. I can't believe how how influential the words of the song. Like it echoes through my life all the time. I still can't wear blue. I, had, I, I can't even wear je- blue jeans. I have problems wearing those. Like any time, brown I got used to. But yes, you're right. The, the, the idea of this with the brown shirts and the blue shirts, the cops and the Nazis, absolutely true. I took it a little differently. Uh, but like I saw it as like the sort of like button down sort of office kind of guy, blue and brown, like fit in. But it's, a, it's definitely authority. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely authority. And yeah. Well, I, I, but I, that came off that line, you grow up, 
you calm down, you start wearing blue and brown. You became like a straight person. You go into you yeah, go into you, the straight. You knuckled world. under. Right, and so yeah. that always resonated. But just like the great line in the second, the opening of the second verse is the judge says five to ten, but I said double that because I'm not working for the yeah. clamp down. I'd rather go to prison. Like I'm not going to do it. Uh, just the, and the conviction in his voice. Yeah. It's. It's just the star of the show. It is. It is the probably the greatest punk rock anthem of all time. And uh, I, 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 um, I, I used to use it. I, we, I made me make. A, I made a list years ago, sort of a pre-show, uh, you know, song list to play as as Nana Swift would set the stage, and we'd be backstage. And it's great to have songs that you really love to sort of get your energy up. And this, that whole that the whole opening with this sort of, you know, that these couple of big open chords that that sort of like coming over the horizon. What are we gonna do now? And then they go into this really remarkable, that ah, this sort of really hammering beat. It's so great. Uh, it's so remarkable. It's so uh, unique. That ah, ah, like it's hammering nail. Well, they they do that thing. So where Topper's got the, it's mostly drums, and it's kind of setting you up like. You do, do, do. and then the guitar just attacks, yeah. just yeah. just. Uh, it's extremely aggressive. Yeah. Everything about it is super aggressive. I I I can't love a song anymore. Even making the, I mean, the clamp down, just coming up with that phrase, because I mean, he yeah, it yeah, brought the it from, alone is so percussive. yeah, brought it from, you know, how authority is. We got to clamp down on these soccer hooligans. We got to clamp down on these, uh, these drugs. We got to clamp down on these Jamaicans. Everything's got to be clamped down. They got to put a stop. To right. anything so that they don't like, the it's just. Right. 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 Yeah, uh, I don't. I can't. Uh, this is absolutely my favorite song <laughs> is, by far. Yeah, I have, once this is my favorite song. All on right. This well, this is my fifteen, so you can tell <laughs> that I'm not as punk rock as you two. <laughs> and we're and we're already on record that that Wayne is the punk dude of this duo. So, um, yeah. I gave it. A, this is my nineteen. I gave it a nineteen. Should I spoiler alert? How, how punk rock can I get? <laughs> yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, this is our top song. I'm playing a solo. <laughs> On the saxophone. Uh, it's a very, very small saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> That's very punk. Uh, All right. Guns of Brixton is next. If the vocals sound different, why is that? That's because it's Paul. That's because it's Paul on lead vocals. Did he, and he, did he write the song as well? I assume he song. wrote the song. He wrote. Yeah. He wrote he the said, song I, as well. He said something because yeah, I guess he used to do a lot of the merch and the posters, and he said there's no money in that. Got right. Write the songs. Right. Yeah. I was just gonna say the else. The other thing that I thought was that I really liked was I heard that he he started working on the song and it he didn't it didn't think it was very good and Joe Strummer. Encouraged him. I keep working on it. You know. It's hard. I got to say, like, I know that I'm. You yeah, know, when you're in a band should. with a guy like Joe Strummer and a guy like Mick Jones, and you're like, oh, I'm not really. Good. Yeah. You know, it sort of exacerbates a problem if you're if you have any sort of misgivings about anything. Like, but yeah, that's what you need encouragement from a guy like Strummer. That's like the greatest thing you could possibly have as a songwriter. No, it's good. Keep going. Is this like the the throw a bone to Ringo 
type of situation. Uh, no, no, Ringo, is, well, absolutely not. This no, written, I, mostly Ringo songs were usually written by written by John the other, or Paul. By the other guy, John. Yeah. Well, you're George. Yeah, George. Or George. Uh, yeah. Or well, you know, actually, he wrote Octopus's Garden, and George helped him out, right? Yes. Put some extra chords in it for him. But yeah, they would they would often you know uh, you know uh, but they this would song is absolutely song. worthy of it. This is this song is not nobody's throwing anybody a bone here. Yeah, yeah, it's got it's got you know obviously he's a big reggae fan, so it's got that big reggae feel. You know, I like his really dark melody. It's a kind of Harrison thing too. Where Harrison always wrote these very dark minor key melodies. This is a great minor key melody. Yeah, I remember well, uh, not as a few years ago, we were on tour in England. We were opening for a band called The Vines. Oh yeah, quite big at the time. yeah. Young kid, it was he was really a nut job. That poor kid was really a basket case. <laughs> Oh, I felt bad for him because he was like he was uh, yeah he was like kind of a little mentally unstable. I think he was on the spectrum somewhere, but he he the band was very popular. They had a huge single, and he had been on the cover of the Enemy like I don't know six out of the last ten weeks. Like they were you know because he's one of those kids who was really quote worthy. Oh, he yeah. said really incendiary stuff. You know he was like I don't know how old he was. He couldn't have been more than eighteen or nineteen years old. And you know all he ate was McDonald's. The only book he'd ever read, according to him, was, you know, Catcher in the Rye. Of he only loved Kurt Cobain. That was his whole act. And every night, at the end of the night, he'd take his Mustang or whatever that sort of, you know, that Kurt Cobain guitar he had. And, he'd, you know, he'd knock all the other instruments over on stage. He'd pull the drums over. He'd smash his guitar. He had a Kurt Cobain hat. And, uh, and there would be girls screaming outside. We were literally, like, we'd lean out our windows of these, these, these British roots. And screaming young teenage girls who a lot of the audiences I could see were people who had never ever been to a concert ever before it was amazing but the opening act was a band called uh, the Bandits and they were all from Liverpool so they sounded like the fucking Beatles <laughs> I would just hang out with them backstage because it was like it was like a scene from Hard Day's Night in their dressing room oh what are you doing man? Oh, it was fucking great uh, and then uh, and they, in their set they always played Guns of Brixton they always played Guns of Brixton okay. it was one of one of my favorite parts of their, of their set Bandits from the Liverpool. The Bandits. What a bunch of characters. Those were the days. I remember we we played, we were the second band up. The Bandits would play, and then we would play. And then I remember we played in uh, Manchester one night. Huge, huge venue in Manchester. It had to be 4,000, 3,000 people at least in there. And the front row was all, like, they all looked like 9, 10, 11 year old girls. They came to see the Vines, right? Right. Because he was not much older than they were. Those Glenn girls, and you could see, like, they had never ever seen a band before. They had that just like, what is happening? And uh, and so we, and about the fourth song in our set, we played a song off our first record called Stalemate. And when we play Stalemate, we always, because we found it was the same key, we would always play Love Will Tear Us Apart. Right. We would play like a verse and a chorus and a verse of Love Will Tear Us Apart and then go back into Stalemate. And so we're like, oh, let's do that in Manchester and see how it goes over. Right? Was it a Manchester band? Wasn't that... Uh, was that, I got, do I have it the right city? Joy Division, yeah. yeah. Joy Division, Joy Division Manchester, Manchester, right? So uh, I, I want to get my cities right. So I just remember the moment, like we we went into that song and the whole audience, you could hear the pin drop as we got about four bars into Level Terrace Apart. Uh, what, a, what a classic moment that was. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm straying from the point. But but uh, uh, but Guns of Brixton, man, uh, that was uh, I I love that song a lot. So and, and I gave it and I gave it a twelve. Okay, Wayne. Yeah, I also gave it a 12. I thought, I think the most, one of my favorite parts about this is, so he's from Brixton. It's also got a heavy Jamaican population. And he, he, he almost puts himself in that, in that 
in that kid, this young black Jamaican, you know, uh, he's a once again a sympathetic character, but a criminal, you know. But the police, there's police brutality, and just the lines about would you rather? Want to shot down on the right. pavement, waiting I, death yeah. row. Yeah, your hands on your, your head, foot, on the your hands on your head, or on the trigger of your gun. Yep. You know, he's it's that's, it's, that's very like, those very are the intense. only. Yeah, this is this kid's life. Like the only way to make any money in this economy I, is is to steal it, deal it, whatever he's got to do, and and you know what? These are the limited options he has, and he he the, like the dark tone of it. Um, the I, Black Mariah, another yeah. great another great word combination. The Black Mariah. So it, it's like the it's like the Iron Maiden. It sounds really fucking scary. Yeah. So you brought up the Jamaican thing, so I wanted to bring up just a couple of fun facts. Did you here. say Jamaican thing? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I gotta take another solo. You keep Jamaican. talking. <laughs> so Jamaican me crazy. Uh, the lyric of "You see, he feels like Ivan" is a reference to Ivan the movie Ivanhoe yeah. Martin's death in "The Harder, the harder they, come. they Come." Jimmy Cliff. So here's so here's how full circle Jimmy Cliff covered this song. Oh, in that'd 20, be awesome. In 2011. Yeah, that'd be awesome. There's your wow. full circle moment. And that, wow. and oh, that version is fantastic. It's oh, so good. Oh, I gotta good. hear that. Yeah, it's so good. All right. Uh, this was my 12 as well. So we're all, we're all 12s on this. All right. That's good. 12, uh, we all, we, even now, there was one where we hit the... That's like a jackpot, right? 12, it, 12, 12. it is a jackpot. It's like, yep. like three cherries. All right, so this is the time where we switch from record one to record two. So first song of side three is Wrong and Boyle. Oh. got it wrong and it's uh, it's oh it was a it was an old uh comp it was like an old uh whatever the old uh label was you know uh, tro- trojan or whatever the old reggae label and they labeled it wrong it said wrong embryo <laughs> <laughs> i'm not kidding wrong embryo that's fantastic it is the wrong embryo that's done out and this is a cover this was one I did not check out. Did you check out the original? No, book? I didn't check out the original. I, you know what? It did make I've heard the original. The original it made me out. listen to Stagger Lee, which is such a great song. Uh, I, I don't. You know, I haven't listened to the original recently, but the original is very similar. It's got that same sort of, okay. you know, that sort of a blue beat. At, 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 at. Yeah, it's great. I love that. That's my. That's some of my favorite party music. That sort of blue beat, up tempo. You know, pre-reggae that's so fantastic great music this grew on me over the last couple of weeks listening to this record again did not resonate quite as much for you and it's not um, I like the stagger leap uh, beginning um, and like I say the whole song is almost like another angle from the same 
from that same incident. Yeah. Um, but I, there's something about the the Rongomboyo, you know, that speaking in that like a Jamaican can say that, and it sounds perfectly natural when a when a kid from Kansas white English guy says it's yeah, weird. it's it just uh, it sounds silly. Well, that's why when big audio dynamite happened, Mick enlisted some other some other musicians to do those Jamaican type parts. So I get it. I get it. Yeah, to me it was to, to me like I I never at the time I'd never heard the original, so I had nothing to. I mean, I think I thought it was a weird thing to say, but I had nothing to like. I'd never heard the original version, so I, I had no nothing to compare it to. I just you know at the time again like. 1980. I was also a fan of the specials, so I liked anything. As and as a drummer, I like you. Like I, I, I really like at that time. The lyrics were not really central to my experience. Of yeah. Records. It was really about the energy of the band, and like these kind of up tempo ska beats were really really fun to play. And I think it's there's a great party energy in the song. It's an up tempo song, but yeah. But the basic premise of the song is all like it's the little guy against, you know, it's the you know, I mean, I don't know exactly what it's about, but <laughs> I still don't know to this day. But I, I, I thought I he just like found a, a, a classic, you know, reggae song that sort of suited his politics, and they could just tear into it. Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't change the lyrics of the original, did he? Or in any significant way? I don't know because yeah, I, I didn't did, listen. I didn't listen to the original. <laughs> oh. I'm going to assume that he didn't uh, take. No, too I much think I, no, I, I actually no, but no, I'm pretty sure this is you know. But the, the whole song takes some creative license from the song Stagger Lee. Um, yeah. that's, it's just basically right. a different right. or more in-depth look at the same incident. You know, the original Wrong Boy, you know, I could be wrong. I don't think it's like this at all, to be honest with you. I can't. <laughs> I should, we should go listen to it before, before right. I comment. Right. Well, I think he was, was, was liberal with his interpretation. I, think. I don't think it was a liberal interpretation. Gotcha. All right. This is my eight, Wayne. Uh, this is my three. All right, Ira. Rongaboyo. Uh, Rongaboyo came in at. Uh, wow, I like this song more than I thought. How did I give this one a fifteen? I gave it a fifteen. A fifteen. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's how much I like it, despite its being whatever. It's all good. I, I knew. I knew when I looked at this list later <laughs> that I would knew I was, it was three or four that were wrong. And I, I think, oh, that's gonna be. Uh, Welcome to our life, yeah, Ira. Yeah, no, rating things, rating nineteen things in a row is hard. It is. In my experience, to cut it down to a single record, I would have let Rongamboyo go. Yeah. I, I would have let all three of the covers probably yeah. go, yeah. even though I love Brand New Canada. Yeah, right. me yeah, too. I, yeah. I, again, this, to me, like, yeah, I just, to me, this song was part of the energy of the record that I really liked as a musician. Like, how much fun is it to play this song? That's all I hear is, like, a really good time. <laughs> all right, next up is Death or Glory. song was gonna track high for Wayne I just knew it and I was right uh, yeah and this is the um, I think I literally at one point wrote this down as my number one song and then 
another listen to I is it because social distortion like, they do a great version yeah. um, I believe Mike Ness might actually have love and hate tattooed on the knuckles of his hands uh, uh. but I love it once again he he takes he starts with every cheap hood you know this working class and like I say as a former cheap hood I never I never bought a couch on credit so I ended up paying for the other one uh, but then it's and then it's those punk rock you know everybody's those bands used to be much more popular or, or maybe they still are but I don't listen to them of that idea you know I'll never sell out I'll never I'll never I'll, I'll never be sold I'm never gonna give them what they want um, which once again it's a slippery I think the best I think I've never heard a better analogy for slippery slope than yeah. fuck nuns and end up joining the church uh, <laughs> Right. And, then I, and then he goes right into then it's like I say and there, there seems there's almost something personal in it when he sings it like I'm like he knows he's on the slippery slope uh, he's making out with nuns at the very least and it's not going to be long before he, he can't do anything about it and then that last that last part really seems to involve those old rockers um, I can't help but think of the Rolling Stones when it talks about every dragon hand clap, every dragon beat, because it always reminds me of that story where uh, Keith Richards will say that Charlie Watts is the best drummer for playing behind the beat. And Bill Wyman said, it's not that, it's that we're the only rock band in the world that follows the rhythm guitar player. <laughs> Fair Interesting. Enough. Yeah. Did, did, on all of your tattoos, on any of your arm, is, does it say death or glory on it? No, but it does your... say, so alone I keep the wolves at bay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Right. But I mean, so this song is—is is this like he's dealing with this sort of like ride or die, like yeah, all in, all out attitude, like and nothing. And he and, right, but he's but he's obviously conflicted about it too, right? He's obviously like, you know, you know, death or glory is just another story. Like he's kind of rejecting this this kind of thing flat. Like that. Yeah. This this concept of like, you know, all or nothing. Yeah, just another story. I mean, I don't know. I think there's a lot of ways to interpret this song. It's really, it's a, it's a fast, it's a fascinating, and it's really, I think, central. And I consider, I understand what you get. It's like it's really central to their, to their punk ideology. For sure, it's really important. I, I didn't see it that way at the time. It sort of, it got by me again. Like I didn't spend enough time with the words. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I, I see it now. It's really a, an astonishing piece of writing. What is your yeah, score, it's, Ira? I gave it a, I, I gave it a nine. Okay. Wayne? Well, this is 18. Okay. It's my But 16. I did spend like a half an hour with a long article about this song and its its meaning. It was like a, uh, probably written uh, you know, at the time, maybe, uh, I can't remember who wrote it, a, a, a notable rock critic back then. Okay. But it was a really good uh, dissection of this song and it made me appreciate it anew. It's really fantastic. Gotcha. I um, probably would have scored it higher had I read that. First? Before you gave me scores? <laughs> yeah. No, I... I, 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 I yeah, no, I was, yeah. I tried not to obsess too much on, like, is it a five or is it six? Right. All right. Cola Cola is next. Yeah. 
See, this is one of the, this is interesting. This is one of the first songs. Like when I see the title, I can't picture the song. Me neither. And this is the first. Yeah. That's the first time on this record it happens. We're 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 entering the sort of the badlands of this record. Yes, I'll speak to that here in a moment about the Badlands. Um, <laughs> so the phrase of it's the pause that refreshes was actually a Coca-Cola ad campaign back in the early days of Coca-Cola. So I thought that that was one of the interesting things about this. There's not a whole lot of, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I can say, okay. I found it I found it largely forgettable because I think he's touched on this specific topic with yeah. advertising and, and big companies and done it better. Like at this point, that's the one thing when you, you put 19 songs on a record, at some point, yeah. um, some of the topics start to get covered. And, and if they're covered really well early on, then it, it does affect. You covered it really well in London Calling and in Lost in the Supermarket. Yeah. You had the... You had the edge of London calling. You had the a little bit of a pop sensibility and loss in the supermarket. And, and this and is somewhere also, in the middle. This also su- suffers a bit from it's just very, very wordy, uh, you know, structurally. Yeah. I don't think it's the strongest melody he's written. It's really based on he has a lot to say. He gets a, has so much to say in the record. It's very Dylan y, you know, it's on and on. So I, I, so I think it's, it's just not a strong. Melodic song. A lot of these songs are much stronger melodic than yeah. hook you in. So this has some great This is my seven. I feel like that's even maybe too high. Um, Wayne, your score? Uh, four. And then Ira? Five. 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 Next song is Card Cheat. song on the record where songwriting credits go to the entire band ah lead vocals is mick we already touched on the dylan aspects my my notes here say this is the most kink song on the record oh yeah i i I didn't think of it necessarily at the time but i absolutely can hear that oh yeah Sorry, if you can hear that on the microphone, there's hail going on outside at once. <laughs> oh, is that what that is? That's yeah. hailing? It's hailing. Yeah. Wow. Where, where are you? God doesn't like our score okay, on Cola yeah. Cola, apparently. <laughs> Seattle. Uh, wow. That's insane, yeah, but, bro. Yeah, this yeah. one, uh, I think, and it's that final verse uh, from, from the Hundred Years' War to Crimea, uh, where he... Where he's talking, I mean, the whole, where he's going through uh, centuries-old wars and all these, you know, weapons from pointy sticks to guns, um, all in the service of the king. So this, to me, this this song is is about those young guys who get, who think that they're going to go out there and be heroes or, or uh, you know, fight in these wars. And they're, 
they're not going to get killed. They'll be the lucky ones that that yeah. survive this cheating death. Um, and and like I say, I don't. I it has a, a kind of a softer, very yeah, a very kinks kind of melody to it uh, that puts it. It, it gives it. It's completely different than than anything else. But I, I thought, like what he was trying to do, uh, or what I felt like he was trying to do at least, was paint a picture of these of these young guys who these are the ones that protect the realm um, at their own peril. I will interject in a very structural way. There we go. When you have when you're an artist and you have a lot of songs and you have to spread them across four sides of a record. You have to make some structural choices. So you always have to put a strong song at the top, which means that somewhere around the end of the third disc, you have a little dead spot. This happens on, on this, that same thing happens in a, in a smaller way on, on any two-sided record. Yeah. You have to have a strong, something strong at the beginning of side two, and then your weakest material tends to end up, for the most part, I mean, that's, I think that's where to find it, in the second middle of the second side. So here I think we've hit we hit it like the clash. We're like, well, okay, we got, but we're gonna end strong. So I think they're leaving. They're leaving a little bit of firepower for the end. Yeah. Clearly. All right. Scores. What do you got? I gave it a ten. I really like this song. Card cheat. Yeah. I gave it an eight. An eight. Okay. I like this, song. this is my eleven. All right. Lovers Rock is coming up. When you make lovers rock. I think the long outro drops points for me because I really do like about the first two minutes of this song. I give it my I get I give this song extra points for the subject. No one because and I had read something of calling it about safe sex. It's not about safe sex. It's about responsible sex. It's about a you know a woman taking her pill, not having sex until you're in a in a in a committed relationship. It's about not. Not being a man, being a man is not just spreading your seed around and getting as many girls right. as you can. Yeah. So it's a completely, uh, 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 it's a theme that no one, no one is not in rock and roll. This is not a rock it's, and roll it theme. Stand, it stands out almost alone in the entire rock oeuvre as a song, a song about responsible sexual behavior. It's really hard to find a song. I never realized it until just now. That's unbelievable. I, I, there's no other song that comes springs to mind that is anywhere near it. It's on, that's no. a plot. I, the only thing that comes to mind is we don't have to take our clothes off. That's not the same. That's not the same thing. That's that's no sex. Not practice safe sex. So. All right. Yeah, that's really remarkable. I, I, it's, um, thank you for pointing that out. It's, it's yeah, absolutely, you're absolutely right. This is my six, Wayne. A nine. Uh, Lepers Rock, I gave it, a, I gave it a four, but knowing what I know now, I would have, I would reassess that. All right, but four. Next is Four Horsemen. <laughs> 
Also starts out great, but kind of drags on for me. This is, did they write this about themselves again? Right, this is a song about themselves. I think it's it feels more anti-religious. Some of the lines about uh, you know cleaned out their pockets. There's a, uh, what's you're not searching. You're not searching. Are you now? It's like using these revelations, uh, images. You know, the fear of damnation is what drives people into the into this. Um, where they can be told that everything's going to be okay and that you don't, you know, here's the, here's, here's the bad ending. Um, give us, give us your money and your Sundays and we'll, we'll protect you from it. Right. Mm. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's them writing about themselves. Interesting. Yeah. This is never one of my favorite. Yeah. I'm looking at the lyrics again. We cleaned out their pockets and we drank them blind. It's a long way to the finish, so don't get left behind by those horsemen. Sounds like the Catholic Church too. So I don't. Okay. Yeah. You you this haven't is my, left this me is down. My, I, I, this is my one. I can't. This, Wait, this you, you're never gonna ride that lonely mile, or put yourself up on trial. You hold me how your life was so bad. I, I can say there's just lies. Okay. There's it's at the instant promises of immortality. This is this is why I, I never I, I never at seventeen I could not identify with the lyric like this I just right. I just like I I could I couldn't deal like it was way too emotionally like I, like I didn't want to invest myself in the song in that way. <laughs> All right, this what's what's your score, Wayne? A six. Okay, and this is my four, and I only gave it the four because the title is four. <laughs> And if you think that's ridiculous, wait until the next one we record. Because I have the most ridiculous reason why I gave my top score was for a lyric. Just for the lyric. Just that's for the lyric. To- that's totally valid. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's sometimes my that's show. I can do whatever the hell I want, yeah. right? Sometimes that's the whole thing, man. Sometimes it doesn't matter. <laughs> the matter the lyric. All right. Next is I'm Not Down. I like this song. I gotta say, okay, so much. I'm gonna. I like the song, but not that much, according to the story. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna admit this. So the next two songs were kind of new to me this month, because I used to fast forward them to a particular song that I've already mentioned, and I because I knew the only thing that was keeping me away from that song was fast forwarding my cassette tape. <laughs> to that song so i like the next two songs they don't score super high um based off of my you know my, my spreadsheet here but um anyways wayne anything yeah and I, it's it's one that i like how it sounds i think they use a lot of the influences that they've they've shown us on the record there's a little there's a little reggae influence there's a little rock influence it's got a little little tinge of soul in it but it doesn't seem like he says anything 
I'm just not gonna let it get me down. Like no matter what happens, I'm not gonna let it get me down. Is this a is this uh, a Strummer song or is this a this is a Jones song? It's Jones. This sounds like a Jones I know, he sings. This it. was Mick. Yeah, this was Mick. Like Jones Mick Jones it. Yeah, it was a mix up. I like his voice. I love uh, Mick Jones uh, singing. He's so fantastic. And I think he wrote this for Joe, though, didn't he? I didn't see the writing credits. I, I, I'd okay. say uh, it it said unless otherwise mentioned. So I don't know. If Again, this was this was a new song to me, so I. <laughs> yeah, and like I say, there's uh, it's it sounds. I like the way it sounds. It just yeah. doesn't say much. Okay, perfect. Ira, uh, I'm not down. I gave a just two, two. Okay. It's very clashy. Yeah, I gave it a five. And I'm matching your five. All right, Revolution Rock is next. So we just listened to the original before we recorded, yep. and I and I definitely like yeah, the original I, better. I agree um, with that. It's not on Spotify, just so you know. You have to find it on YouTube. The original is um, Danny Ray and the Revolutionaries, and it's straight up reggae. The Clash version. This is this is my critique of it. It's five and a half minutes long. The original is even longer. It's like six, like six minutes, over six minutes. So I think that that's my only critique of that. It's super long. That's a valid critique. Yeah. Well, I felt like, like I say, when you have nineteen songs, at some point, yeah, yeah. you're gonna run into a part where where this song had it felt like it was already covered territory revolutions rocks reggae again you're talking about force they had to get something to fill the space i know we need I, what do we got do we have anything about six can we can we all that a jam that was like six minutes we got to fill out well, what, the su- what surprises yeah. me is without that last minute addition this would have been the end like i don't right weird right that would have been you think this they, that would have been a very strange ending for the record yeah so you keep, Ira, you keep pointing to your version of yeah. the record. Does it say Train in Vain on the um, listing? No, uh, uh, no, it's, it stops at Revolution Rock. All right, well, let's, let's get scores for Revolution Rock, and then we'll jump into last song, because I think seven. we all I gave it a seven. have... Yeah, we'll all have a few things to say. This is two. my two. Okay. Wayne and I are agreeing on a few songs. It's always scary. Um, All right, final track, Train in Vain.
uh, I was asking you about the track listing because originally this was going to be a giveaway with Enemy. Yeah. And did they write it at the very end of the sessions? How what, How did it end up on the end? I don't I think know it was, where the. I think there was some of that too, but the deal yeah. with Enemy fell through. Oh. So they added it. At After the, last the jacket minute. had been printed. After the jackets had already been printed. That's really, that's a pretty bossy move right there. But I guess that's yeah. the kind of band they were. Well, con- considering that this was a double album as well, they kind of pulled a Tom Petty thing on this and said, we're giving you a double album, but you're not paying double album for Price, this. Yeah. Like you're yeah, not they, paying yeah. Tusk money. Right. Well, for and, that, and then, of course, I was reading on Sandinista, which is a three-record set, yeah. that they, and like I say, this is what I admire about their convictions, they took less of a royalty cut right. to keep the price of the record down so that the people that they wanted could, could get it. So that's, I don't know a lot of bands that would do that. Like, no. Not in 19... 19- Eight, you don't realize until you start to like try to put like two records together and the packaging and artwork and you want to do something <laughs> creative like and you do it on a mass level you don't man it's a it costs a lot of money and I argue that if it's someone crazy. could have convinced them to make this a single album then Sandinista would only have been two albums I feel like they maybe they, we had two we can't go back we gotta go forward yeah right 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 yeah cause there's yeah, a lot amazing. of there's a lot of flaws in Sandinista I love a lot of the songs, but there's a lot of flaws in there. And I think, again, hopefully Doug Gillard doesn't listen to this <laughs> episode. Cause, because my critique of Robert Pollard is if somebody would just go, you know what? If anyone knows, if anyone knows that Robert Pollard is worthy of critique, it's Doug Gillard. <laughs> right. And if somebody would just tell Robert that, you know what? Just pick the best 10 songs you wrote this year and put it on an album, those albums would be amazing. I I think, I think, I think my, from my watching over Douglas's shoulder, his weird, his fantastic relationship with, with, with Robert, you know, like I feel like Robert, you know, those artists who, uh, who like, uh, they design the thing, but other artists fabricate it. Okay. You know, like, you know, like they wow. design this elaborate giant teddy bear, but you know, it's like 15 feet high. But he just designs it, and then the artisans actually put it together. But it's his piece. Yeah. And there's a lot of artists who work there. Well, I think Pollard often works this way too. Pollard will throw Gillard like literally like a sentence, or like he'll be drunk with his friends and go. My truck is on fire and I'm going to jail. And he'll send, he'll record that okay. and he'll send it to Doug. And it's Doug's job to write a song around my truck is on fire and I'm going to jail. And then Kelly puts chords under it and writes a bridge and then he samples it out and he writes a little bit. And you know, he, so Bob will send him a couple of lyrics and he has to build a song around it. He puts a solo on it, writes a bass line to it. He's written entire records this way. Uh, as like you know, uh, I don't know if he does it for GBV, but he does it for. Uh, he has you know. I think he's a very like I'm in the now. Yeah. Like the I think the idea of like him sort of coalescing ten. I mean, it's, you're not wrong, but I, I have a feeling he works like he must be so. He must be writing all the time. <laughs> all the time. I bet he never I stops. Can't even imagine. I think his yeah. brain is always on. 
Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Maybe it's like a nervous. It's like a nervous habit at this point. I can't stop. Yeah, I can see that. I think I think music is his OCD. Yeah. Well, Gillard is that. Gillard is not unlike that. Gillard is like so. Uh, he's just the greatest. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have him as you know one of my friends. Who, like every day, I'm on a particular shame with the guys in Bambi Kino. Okay. Like yeah. you know, we're like, hey, what happened today? You know, some Beatle thing, whatever. You know, so Gillard is a he's the king of like the bad, the groaningly, the groaningly bad puns. <laughs> worse, worse than my intro for intro, intro for Wayne. No idea. Okay. Oh my god, and he's like a king of like obscure '60s references. You know, like he's like he's like the he's like he's like someone off the Joe Franklin show. He's like you know, it's all Shecky Green and like, I call those the Dennis Rose. Miller moments. Okay. That only a f- like five people in the world will yeah. understand, but those yeah. five people think yeah. it's the most hilarious thing ever. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, he's the king of a, the groaningly bad pun. He, he and I are members of a. We have a small Facebook community, a closed a club called. Uh, it's called. Um, well, don't say because now I shouldn't give it away. Oh, I, 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 you're right. I'm giving away too much. But anyway, basically, it's a bunch of folks who like we find weird pictures of the Beatles. Okay. And then we just. And just we pun for like a, you know everyone just like throws their you know a title of a song yeah you know either one of their solo songs or a Beatles song along with the I don't know it, it's it, it's it's totally uh, it's totally juvenile and uh, sometimes <laughs> I'll laugh till I cry but Doug is ah uh, it's so great Doug is one of our one of them uh, he's one of the best contributors on that whole thing yeah it's a little bunch of musicians and we're all just like total Beatle fanatics we've totally gone off track. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Do we have one more? We, 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 we need to finish talking about yeah. Train in Vain. I'm sure Wayne. I thought we've we, already we thought we stopped. We've already talked about this song, though, right? Yeah. Uh, on one of our. It's worth. It's worthy of a little more discussion. On yeah, one of on one of our lyrical great yeah, lyrics. Yeah, this was one of uh, yeah. when we brought. We had the lyrics. Oh, it's unbelievable! Um, it's so classic. I, and like I said, the paradox for me is that this isn't my isn't one of my favorite Clash songs. It's one of my, but it is one of my favorite songs. Like uh, my whole my arm, right there on the forearm. So alone I keep the wolves at bay. That whole yeah. the train taking. I mean, taking a train across London to go to a girl's house who's already moved on, even though she said she would never do that. Uh, and just that whole conversation with himself about, you know, you said you'd stand by me, uh, which I believe is, some people believe is a reference to a slit song, Typical Girls, that says uh, that it could be Tammy Wynette. It doesn't matter. It's still a great line yeah. um, when you call somebody yeah. out that said, I, I'll love you forever. Oh, guess what? I changed my mind. Well, everybody knows Stand By Me from Stand By Me, which is like a classic, like, you know, like this beautiful love song of like, just you know, like Lennon, you know, stand by me. This kind of flips it over on its other side. Like you didn't stand by me. No, not at all. You know, it's really brutal. It's and it's super. It's very intense and it's very and it's. Uh, you know that he's talking from 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 experience. You hear it. Absolutely. All right. There's no, there's no question. It's very powerful. I already brought up how important this song is for me. So. You already know this is my 19. Yeah. I already and gave again, the punchline. Again, away. this is one of those things. Like as a drummer, this is a great, really interesting. That yeah. topper playing this sort of a little sort of a gallop on the hi hat. He's doing sort of dropping a double stick, like little sort of da 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 da. He had a little gallop in his in his playing. It's a fantastic. The whole rhythm section arrangement is is brilliant. So good. All right, Wayne, your score. 
yeah, it's 15, but like I say, my, the fa- my favorite line that's ever been put in a song is So Alone I Keep the Wolves at Bay. There's nothing more lonely and desperate than, than that line. Just like you're, you're keeping the, the, all the wolves at bay all alone, all yeah. by yourself, all the bad things. It's all on you. Yeah. I read your score. Um, I gave this an 18. This is my second favorite song. Okay. And this is going to clock in as our second overall favorite song as well. I already mentioned Clamp Down. Yeah. Um, the rest of our top five, London Calling, average score of 16.33. Lost in the Supermarket, average score 16. And then Death or Glory, Ira tried to tank it for us, but... <laughs> It, pull it out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, that get that that's that rounds out our top. We, five. I think we're exactly right. I don't think we could be any writer. That's the perfect top. That five. is the perfect top five. Um, just outside, we get wrong, boys. Just outside was Rudy can't fail in Spanish bombs, which, I mean, six and seven. Yeah, I think we it, lost at supermarket. Where did supermarket come in? That was what our fourth. Was our fourth. That's a perfect top five for yeah. this record. Yeah, and like I, I say, uh, that's this I, is one of the best records of all time. And I, yeah. st- like I say, I still think if it was, if some, if it was trimmed, it might even, might even be, it, it could be even higher. Like I, this is probably top five for me what if cds i thought about this the the other day and that's the first time i got a cd it's one it's on a single cd yeah what if what if cds had existed before this and the 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 label said give me 13 or 14 songs there's a whole different psychology that goes with with sequencing cds because they're linear because they're linear you know, we uh, that's that was the interesting thing we've gone through as a band. Like we came from an album generation. We grew up yeah. with albums, and when we signed to Elektra, it was we. Now we were in the sort of the CD world. We programmed our records as though they were albums, like an A side and a B side. Right. That's how I always thought of, it, even though it was linear. So, uh, yeah. So there's a different psychology. I don't know how they would have dealt with it. It's hard to really say. Yeah. They probably yeah. It would have been easier to trim out four or five songs on a CD which is yeah the, the perfect you know it's like what are people you know you can put a lot of information on a CD but really what is people's attention span people's attention span is really about 40 minutes uh, we, we know based on the podcast I mean we have some that's why the, that's why the vinyl album is such a perfect yeah. media because it's medium because it's a you know it's a perfect attention span of, of a human being like you know about 40 45 minutes like, yeah. yeah I can give you that I've had a number of people when they look to see how long our episodes are, for instance, and they're like, you really want me to give you 90 minutes of my time for podcasts? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I do. It's a good conversation. (laughs) All right. I usually say, did we cover it? Did we miss anything? I don't think we missed much. We got all the album art in there. I showed you my album art. Yeah. Yeah. I still love. I gotta show this picture one more time. Look how beautiful. Look how, look how, look how that's awesome. Look at that. It's, it's so good. How and, cool is that? And and if you notice our logo when I designed it that's when right. we were first starting, yeah, yeah I totally, I totally yeah. stole based the font. The, of course, based on that famous Elvis. Right? Absolutely. Right. Yep. Yep. I stole. I stole the font. 
a couple people have used it since then. In fact, I think yeah. Mick Jones used it again for a big a big audio dynamite album. Okay. I like that movie. You see that Bowie record where he took his own cover and he sort of like blocked it out with something else on it. But he took like the Heroes cover and he just put a like put a black box in the middle of it as a later album cover. Oh, I think it's yeah, Lodger. Yeah. It might be. Yeah. No, one of, yeah, he took one of his own album covers from like the seventies, and he released it as another album cover. He just he just <laughs> it was very it was a really Monty Python thing to do. Like he crossed it out. Yeah, <laughs> that was fantastic. This is a lot of fun, uh, as yeah. always. Oh, we nice love guys. we love really having you on, Ira. I learned I learned so much doing this. I, I learned a bunch of stuff, and now I have a totally new appreciation of this record. I did too, and I and I thought I knew most of London Calling but um, I learned some stuff too so this was, this was a lot of fun alright so tell people where they can find happenings of Ira Elliot uh, well uh, you can look for some Bambikino stuff we've done there's a couple of videos floating around we probably won't be playing much but the Not A Surf group will be uh, should be back in action when we have a US tour in November yeah. uh, and probably by next year I know Doug is going to be on with the GBV and I guess uh, the Not A Surfs will be uh we're trying to hit the boards hard, but I'm so excited. I'm, I'm buying a new drum set. I'm yeah. like a kid. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so yeah. So I'm excited to go back to work, man. I feel like like this year and a half has been the longest. Like I just can't. Like I thought for a while early on, like I'm never ever going back to work. Yeah, that's it. No one will ever go to a show again. It's all over. Let's wrap this up. It's getting late. All right, let me let me right. let me get. Good night, boys. Me, thank you, thank hold you, on, thank you. Hold on, I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta get the closing. Oh, we gotta do our thing. We gotta do the closing thing. Just as a reminder, make sure you go find all, all of our old episodes. Go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. Of course, we have the Patreon. Don't forget to join our Patreon. Get episodes a week early. Wayne's gonna dig through his closet to figure out what um, T-shirts we're gonna give away. <laughs> Uh, to to our patrons, to anyone who uh, might be interested in in the the, the hand me downs, <laughs> he's probably only worn them once too. Some of them, maybe. Yeah. All right. So good. If you wear them, sometimes it's worth more. But there, there you go. He'll he'll sign them for you. All right. Uh, go to patreoncom podcast to, to get all the details. And uh, as a reminder, if you donate at a certain tier. You can join us as a guest to be a part of our of our uh, wonderful podcast. All right, here we go. Yeah. This is the last part of it. Thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. We are getting back out there. Thank goodness. Um, I'm seeing my first live show in, what, two weeks? And I'm so excited for that. Make sure you buy a T-shirt of the band. Buy a record. We are Records Revisited, and we are... Out! Out! Out.